You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything Godzilla. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to another special deep dive episode of the Bond Zilla podcast. We are talking about the uh, Godzilla side of things. And earlier in the month, we um, we did a special deep dive for a movie sequel to a movie we'd previously done on the podcast. And uh, history is going to repeat itself a little bit because we have a similar... Oh, oh, hold on. All right, say something. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Keep do going. Want, yep. Do you want me to start over? No. Nope. Okay. They must know. <laughs> People must know. Because right, if so. your heroes don't have faults, then you're just setting yourself up for Well, I was doing well there. Further. But... Anyways. <laughs> we, we I had... mean, you were doing good. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would, you know, hang, you know, this is, this is well, old we're, hats. We're so going to be looking at a sequel to uh, a movie we just looked at. Here on the podcast, so a uh, very interesting set of deep dives this month. Yeah, um, if uh, as I said for in our last episode, for any Pacific Rim fans, if I disappointed you last time, uh, prepared for even more disappointment this time. I'm looking Is this, forward to it. I mean, it. dude. Yeah, like, no, I do. I actually, uh, I, I, I will get into the entire. It, well, because so part of this episode, other than us you know trying to escape the cops that are apparently like at our door they're getting, like, everybody, they're, they're getting everybody who's still outside yeah <laughs> um but um uh yeah so part of this episode we are going to be uh this will act as a companion piece to the last uh the last episode in which our main topic was the Guillermo del Toro kaiju film Pacific Rim and we'll be talking about this time diving deeper into the Pacific Rim world by talking specifically about the sequel, Pacific Rim Uprising. Specifically, yeah. Pacific Rim Uprising. And then we're, and then I think that, and and but with that conversation will come um, the broader uh, place that the Pacific Rim world and what Guillermo del Toro introduced ultimately, because I think that's like the interesting thing about Pacific Rim is that it, I think it is primarily known uh, for a lot of people to be like, you know, this thing that Guillermo del Toro introduced within the like Kaiju monster fandom. Mm-hmm. And um, it had it, other than some of the iconography of it. So yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about just like, you know, some of the broader aspects of, you know right. the the fandom and you know how it fits into the uh um into the uh whole shebang. So uh but before we get in before we get into that just catching up on some things. Uh last week we did our um MonsterVerse watch along commentary yes. for Kong Skull Island. Yes. That was a lot of fun. Yes. Um what 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 do you think? Because that was like, because what it was what, very enjoyably a rewatch. Yeah, because one of the things is that's the one movie we haven't covered completely on right. the show. Right, we we discussed it when it first came out uh, in our Kong versus Godzilla 1960s episode, um, which was good timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, back in the early days, the primordial like 
Tracy Ullman era Simpsons episode version of the show. Back when, you know, my hair was too spiky. Yeah. Into, you know. Yeah. It's a that's an animation nerd joke. Yeah, yes. If you follow your Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> and and you know, Homer sounded like he had a cold all the time. Mm-hmm. Um but uh it was one of those things where um you know, it's just it's been a while since I've seen it and uh I'm a very excited to eventually cover it uh deeper on the podcast and and kind of reflect a little more specifically on it because it's really i mean it it competes up there with like i really do like all three monsterverse movies but i you know there's a kind of a pure enjoyment about what kong skull island is yeah i mean like uh there as i had said many times and i think i'd said uh to you while we were watching it uh that they're really i would buy any argument and except if anybody said like the, it was their favorite of yeah. the three and I, I actually would probably even concede that as a you know uh just a general crowd pleaser mm-hmm. uh and i've had to think about like what's what's the one movie out of the three movies thus far that's just going to appeal to a broader crowd mm-hmm. uh the most I, I would probably even myself argue that it would be kong skull island and one, one of the things that was just really fun about d- diving back into it uh, and the thing that stuck with me, like the the whole thing, and the only reason I bring this up is because this came out of doing the watch along and and you know hearing other people chime in and you know hearing thoughts from behind the scenes and such. That it really is the most. It's out of the three films, it's the best pure monster movie in the same sense of like Jurassic Park being mm-hmm. like you know a monster dinosaur like creatures like going around and yeah. every other scene is like a different like creature based set piece and uh and you know down to the point we had some people chiming in and I think uh, somebody had said that the skull crawlers are very reminiscent of like that's this movie's like raptors from Jurassic Park and I thought that was so spot on so that that was the biggest thing about watching it was obviously I mean I I've seen all three of these movies too many times. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it was fun to watch. And of course, Jordan Vote Roberts, which I called. Uh, well, yeah, of course. Chimed in. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. It, I'm sure Doherty's going to so be that, there next week, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, um, so that that was fun. And I was going to ask if there were any uh, highlighted uh, uh, pieces of information dropped by uh, uh, Roberts. But I think, like, the biggest, the funniest part of it was when he just hopped off of the Twitter watch along entirely and then joined John C. Riley and some of the other uh actors from the film on a on like mm-hmm. what was it, an Instagram live or Yeah, it was on like, Instagram live. So, so like I thought that was that was probably the funniest yeah, part he, about he's it. He's a big fan of uh John C. Riley, as yeah. you can probably tell. Um, also interesting to note when just like kind of looking at all the mentions of the watch along, it, it definitely and I anticipate this even going into this week is that it, it definitely seemed to be the MonsterVerse film with like the most love, mm-hmm. like attached to it. Yeah. it. It just like in terms of like all the mentions and everybody like, and like all like the ads and everybody chiming in to you know talk about it through our channel and other channels. It seemed to be the movie that had the most like everybody hopped on board to be like, oh, this this movie is awesome. Yeah. I think the best part of information, though, was when Vote Roberts was asked by uh, Toho Kingdom, who definitely is out there in the Toho universe, if you're listening, hello. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, they were asked uh, if you could, you know, 
direct and write another MonsterVerse film, any of the Toho monsters, of course, yeah. Bill Roberts went with the obvious choice and said he would do A Day in the Life of Hedora, yeah. which is, I think, the best part of, of this. I That got me thinking of, can you imagine, like, l- let's say you have, like, an expanded Godzilla world, and then, like, uh, I think a cool way to, like, reinvent Hedora is, like, Hedora, like, you know, attacks somewhere, and then, but then that place is just, like, isolated from society. Like, it's like a Chernobyl type event. Yeah. So it's just like, so it's like, you can't go there because literally a giant smog monster lives there and everything there is dead. Yeah. And then it's like, but he stays there. So Mm -hmm. if you don't bother him, yeah. Then that's, that's good. Actually, it wouldn't be like a bad short, even if it's not Hedora, just a bad short. That'd be kind of cool. Just like these tiny little Godzilla shorts. Yeah. Like, little short godzillas not short short godzillas no godzilla in short shorts daisy dukes yeah (laughs) with the phrase they they have to be frayed at the the bottom and it was also nice because on this we we watch not only did we once again get uh, a little retweet and a little love from the legendary account but we also got retweeted by nerdist yeah they better yeah and they 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 agreed with you well that they love what they agree with but nerdist yeah yeah, they 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 also love samurai swords and gas. <laughs> that one got the most uh, out of uh, out of the entire watch along. I think got the most love. Is like the, uh, yeah. for those of you who know the movie, because right, that's the one we noticed to be tweeted. Yeah, it, it's like the big. Yeah, well, I guess that makes sense. Uh, but it's just funny. It's the big Tom Hiddleston like putting on the gas mask and chopping up those birds with a samurai sword for yeah. no reason. And I think like the tweet was like, if you don't. If you don't like this, if you don't love this, I, don't, I, don't, don't talk to me or, yeah. or something. If you don't love this, don't talk to me. That scene is so absurd. Yeah. It, it, it's it's incredible. It's it's amazing. It's, cr- it's fantastic. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So it, it it was. So it was a lot of fun, and it's it's a lot of fun to you know hash out um you know all the things that are great about it, and then you know I set aside a little bit of time to like get a get aside some of my criticisms of it, which I which I did have some, but um but yeah i mean just just another fun one it, it kind of i i and i've said on this show i i'm actually very happy with all three films and luck thankfully we're gonna get a fourth one and um so you know you we have more to look forward to um and i'm happy with like the sample size we have but the the doing the watch along like this I, i'm kind of envious that it's as short as it is because this week is the last movie yeah. like you know what i mean so i kind of wish there were like it's the only time i wish like oh man i wish there was like maybe two more movies so there'd be like a couple weeks and you know get a couple more movies we, in. we'll we'll take we'll, yeah. we'll take we'll take control yeah and do, do you find it i know we talked about this too about how it is funny more and more rewatching these movies with the whole MonsterVerse in mind now. Very similar to like going back and watching like some of the Marvel yeah. movies with it. Like it's like I think like one of our favorite lines in it was um you know, they have the joke with um John Goodman's character yeah. at the beginning where he's like he's like as far as we're concerned you're uh it's like it's it's uh you we're lumping you guys in with like the Area 51 guys in their tinfoil hats and then and then John Goodman's like well, you mean the alien guys? Those guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just funny, you know, considering there's a three-headed dragon yeah, literally I mean, under I mean, their nose that may... It's just like little things like that. And and I've dived into like the thematic specifics that are funny in retrospect, but little things like that are always like funny. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, at some point we are going to go have full-on dive into that, that movie. So uh, definitely we'll look forward to that. Hopefully closer yeah. to... 
when you yeah, know, when, when <laughs> we actually get this get this movie. Actually, you know, I meant to talk about that on our last deep dive, but I didn't really get a chance to about how um and and only because we we do have fans who have brought it up a couple times. Yeah. Um and have just like kind of I think have inquired our opinions on it and is that, you know, we had touched upon it a little bit that like so many movies are getting pushed right, back. Right. We also like talked about this more closer to when this was first going on, when it was just kind of Bond. That's true. And yeah. we really, I mean, we've kind of brought it up again. We're like, everything's moved now. Um, we did kind of talk about it in one of our recent episodes. It's about how, you know, November, December is now super crowded with stuff. But yeah, I mean like the other thing is that, you know, Disney moved another, you know, moved black widow there. And of course now they've moved soul there yeah. and pushed, uh, Ray and the Last Dragon back next year, and we still haven't heard anything about Kong versus Godzilla. You know, and it's still possibly, you know, gonna move. Is it not gonna move? Is it gonna go earlier? Um, my opinion is that I think, you know, I think there are those movies that are kind of lumped near the end of the year. I think still have a little bit of ways to go before they need to make those decisions. Um, I think you know things are kind of sh- the narrative and things are shifting around. COVID and coronavirus and stuff every day just to we just don't know at this point and the movies that are there you know in November December have the luxury of being far enough away where decisions on that stuff like the movies that we've mainly seen actually move are either the summer which you know basically is now empty other than the end of July is now like when that first stuff is hitting um we have like movies that are taking other slots. So like, you know, those November movies that have moved or the Disney movies that needed to move slots. So black widow shifted into, uh, the, um, eternal spot. And then, you know, essentially, uh, soul shifted into Ray yeah. and the last dragon yeah. spot. So a lot of those other movies like Kong, you know, it's, I think really it's just going to be a wait and see approach to see what's going on you know, a little bit later in the year. Um, there, I don't think there's a, you know, and the other movies we've seen move are movies that are still in production, like Batman, the the new Matt Reeves Batman just moved because the production's been delayed and stuff like that and, and future movies. So I think like a lot of those other November, December movies, I think it's really just going to be just going to sit tight and wait and see um, until we just kind of know more about what kind of, the future holds yeah the 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 whole november schedule in order of weekends is black widow clifford the big red dog uh godzilla versus kong is and soul are on the same weekend Mm -hmm. and then no time to die is the is the week after that right um my my opinion of it honestly is and and this is going to sound like really uh like like maybe dis- possibly dismissive but i think at this point when it comes to movies releasing it's just not something i would take up mental space for yeah if i would be honest yeah like, did, at, like like not and and i don't mean it in like you know don't look forward to anything it's just mostly like i think that there are so many factors at play here that i i just wouldn't like even take the mental capacity to be like, is this movie going to stay here or is it going to move? Because I think that that, that equation could change and any day. Like, so even the fact that like 
any of those movies being there. Like, for some reason, I, I feel a little bit more, I don't know why, maybe more confident about, like, the Disney thing. Like, maybe they'll, like, keep those dates because, you know, just, like, you know, it's Disney. Yeah. So it's like, but overall, actually, any of these movies, no matter where they're from, I, I'm keeping aside just as much mental possibility that all these dates are going to change regardless like so i, think, I mean, I mean that, just, that's how we i just feel don't about it. i mean the yeah. thing is we just don't know and i think just you know i think it, it you just basically it's just like sit tight and see because like any number of things could happen and, and let's not forget we mentioned this before and i have no word about this whatsoever but kong versus godzilla remains out of all of the most of the films I've just mentioned, especially Black Widow, Soul, No Time to Die, remember we had talked about this: that Godzilla vs. Kong is the only one of these films that hasn't had any marketing campaign whatsoever. Yes. Um, and while you know we had talked about we're not too worried about it, you know, but there is like the a uh, lot of these movies, Black Widow, Soul, and No Time to Die, have to contend with having to ramp up another, um, another advertisement. Push, right. Yeah. So. You know, the movie could still come out. And then, you know, who's to say, like, you know, getting into the real world a little bit, you know, there, there's still some tensions and everything going on right now. But there is a sense where I feel like within, like, you know, the next couple months, I think that the entire society will be ready for a reprieve with something. Yeah. So I would actually, would like, depending on how things go in the next month, which... Um, you know, as they stand right now, you know, are still iffy, but not cataclysmic, and that so that's good. Yeah. Um. So I think that in a in a little bit, you're going to start seeing maybe some people being willing to take on some excitement for movies again. Yeah. But that being so, so that could be a prime time. Would be like come this summer. You know, unfortunately, we got the news that Comic Con isn't happening this this year, which we we had kind of, I mean, suspected. I, yes, yeah. I suspected. But um, who's to say? I mean, there could still be a giant, like, big movie push, you know, online and like di- digitally. Like, you know, studios could be being like, at this point, like, hey, g- get ready, gang! Like, all these movies are gonna be waiting for you when you come out of your yeah. houses. So that could be possible. And Legendary and uh, Godzilla vs Kong could hop in on that. But it's just as possible, I think, that it could get reallocated again. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it really, it literally just depends on what society and you know how this thing keeps going. Because it's just like, at what point is there a somewhat sense of like return to normalcy? Will be very dependent on Congress's Godzilla. And like I said, like those movies, I think still have a little bit of time sure yeah to, to it, like it, make those decisions so i don't think it's it's apropos of like tomorrow i mean watch i'm gonna say this and then tomorrow they're gonna announce a move but yeah uh but basically like there's there's no reason for them to rush it you know especially because you know again as impossible as it may seem if things you know go well over the summer and maybe we start reopening like things and know. also remember the us in an R, and I'm talking about you, me, and the audience, we know and we're looking forward to that movie. Like, does the average person really know that movie's coming out this year? Probably not. Until, until, until any sort of market. No, that's what I mean. So it's like, you know, they, they, right. it's kind right. of, we're, a, we're, we're in the kaiju bubble. Yeah. It's kind of been a hidden benefit of the movie is that it hasn't had a, uh, like a big push as yeah. of yet. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, um, but in the meantime, all of you guys can watch Scoob, 
May, next month May 15th. On, on on digital. Have you have you watched any of the movies released on digital yet? No, no, none. Uh, done uh, the only one I'm really itching to to plunk my money. Down. Oh, I mean, I watched Frozen two. Mm. I have not seen Onward. Yeah, yet, but, but you but you had seen Frozen two in theaters though. No, what? What? No, no. Sorry, you saw. Why did I no? There was an it was another Disney sequel you saw. Yeah, Rick Ralph. Yeah, Rick Ralph too. That's what Frozen. It was. I wanted to see. I just like it. Just yeah. things happened. I just yeah. didn't get a chance uh-huh. to do it. Yeah. Um. But I, I watched The Hunt. <laughs> that yeah. was the, that was the only one I watched. Uh, the, the only one I really want to see is is Sonic. Yeah. Which I think was also it's like you know. Yeah. Somewhat it's normal. Wow, this is the episode where people are really gonna question our taste in movies. Is well, what? Wait, what? Like what? What, what do you mean? Like, what else could you have watched? Yeah. Invisible Man? You're right? going to get that on Blu-ray. Yeah, but it's... it's <laughs> I mean, I I'm guess, not gonna yeah. Plunk, I'm not going to plunk down $20 yeah. when you're going to get it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Also, I know that movie's going to make me inherently uncomfortable. <laughs> so I got to watch it in the right mood. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, well, um, let's dive deep into this subject that we were at last week, and that was Pacific Rim. Specific Rim. Speci- specifically pacific room um so yeah so um any any kind of lingering thoughts you you've had kind of like hopping off of that that film um i i I think we've had we've had one or two people reach out saying that oh that there are other like-minded individuals out there Mm -hmm. um um that kind of share our or on our side of the coin on it there's some surprise but also most of the stuff that i've seen was basically like yeah yeah makes sense yeah um no i mean i, I re- re-listened to the episode as i usually do you know like the song of my own voice yeah. that was one thing we did not we didn't talk about that i do feel that needs to be mentioned on Mike is that we didn't give enough props to the theme song yes which is good mm-hmm. the the theme song is dope and i i don't feel yeah, like a, i gave it score. i don't think i gave it it's just it's just desserts yeah, it's, uh, but it's, it's yeah, pretty I mean, awesome. it's one of those things where it's it's really weird listening to like my thing because when you listen to that episode, I sound very, 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 very down in that movie, and it's like it is like a thing where it's like yes, I can outline all the problems that I you know may have with it, but it wasn't as if you know I had a tough time watching it. You know, it wasn't like oh, like this movie. Like I was still like it was able to you know I was able to come in and it it, it kind of came in and out perfectly great right and you know it was one of those things where it was just a nice little sit down and i have issues with the movie but you know it it still wasn't it's not terrible no no i mean i i I think that was my the the worst i felt was that um i think uh some the week we had uh released the episode that guillermo del toro like had retweeted some like either some fan art about it and it was it was something about like um, the the Makamori's character, and it was just like very stylistically like, oh, she's a girl, and now she's a woman, and, and the Jaeger, and it, it was very sweet. And then like Guillermo del Toro retweeted it, saying like, this is exactly like you know emotionally why I wanted to do the movie. And then I'm like, and I feel like garbage because <laughs> I literally, I literally just recorded like two hours of saying how I didn't like that in the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we but, tagged him. In no, it. no, but yeah, no. I not mean, like I tagged Ryan Johnson that, on our knives out episode. I, I think that is one of the things that make me not fit for this industry, despite me working in it so much. Is that I, I do feel bad <laughs> if I if I don't like something, and I yeah. That's why it's like you know, 
I just I can't I can't meet too many right. of my of my well, heroes. See, that's why I've, I've I my my worldview of now is just I can't hate movies unless they like hurt people. Or, yeah. like it's like very nice because if someone makes a movie, really, and I don't like really. It. All right, I'm gonna tell that next time you meet Zack Snyder on something where he's like, "Hey, man, half your movie garbage." <laughs> exactly caught you <laughs> well i mean it's one of those things where like i'd probably argue about it passionately uh, why with him no no no. sorry i'm, I'm oh I'm, I'm, <laughs> i would not argue it passionately anymore right but in terms of like directly comparing the marvel films to the end of man of steel i'm mm-hmm. gonna take the marvel films every time so because... what about mark webb what kind of conversation are you gonna have with him see that movie's see, just silly yeah <laughs> And here's the thing. I've had my two good Spider-Man movies. I've had my three good Spider-Man movies and also Venom exists. Yeah. So, and I Which you're not bad about either, no. honestly. No, but it's like I've had my enjoyment. So, it's more so the 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 stuff about Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'm not as you know. It's one of those things where it is absurd. Is it is it because you're like with the Justice League movies like because with the Spider-Man movies you're saying like, well, at least you have other good Spider-Man movies that you like. Yeah. Whereas, like, this was our first chance at doing any of this Justice League stuff, and this is what we got? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but it's also... <laughs> I mean, I think the thing in, in, in the thing about it, really, is that I just I still just have my opinions of just how they did that cinematic universe, and it was being different to be different, but also, like, didn't do the legwork. Right, Because there's right. good films. I mean, Shazam's awesome. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman's good. Um, should still probably see aquaman at some point mm-hmm. um it's awesome yeah yeah uh, but it's just like i just think like you know just putting it all into that one world view of Zack snyder those yeah. first three yeah. movies even with the edits of justice well, that, league it just i just it just was a rough beginning that, that and that's what's even fascinating about even going back to kong skull island uh, it was that you know you and i have just been you know well, like you know holding this flag up that it's like it really is a very well done cinematic it's, universe the, the two good cinematic universes out there are marvel yeah. and monsterverse yeah it, it's like it, it's like all the all the c- connections are kept to the fringes and there's like thematic elements that you can kind of connect through through them there's little plot elements that have no inclination that it's like setting up something it's just part of this bigger world yeah. and it's like uh, and, and then from the people, like you know, from people that we know behind the scenes of it, that there there is a sense of like they, that they have thought out a little bit of it, but then they kind of let the directors do what they do. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that now, really sitting with the three monster movies, they really gave like these three directors, and they did the movie that they wanted to make, yeah. and with their own stylistic tendencies. And, and such. I think it's just the both of those. It's just to me, it's like the proof that you have to start slow because you have to be able to change things up if necessary. Yeah. Especially because the material in all this case fit like fits. Right. It, it already like it's funny because whether it be comic books or monsters where there's like a big lore and there's a big like roster of like characters and creatures you can pick from. It's almost like, like that will naturally come. Like don't force the flower to grow. Right. Listen, like, you know, it's just like, just do it. Like doing Batman versus Superman as the second, you know, DCEU film. I just think still to this day, it's just a big mistake because you just don't get a sense of the world. And like, you know, putting what Jekyll and Hyde into the mummy. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it's just like there's just too much there. You yeah. need to let the movie stand on its own so that like if things happen so unless that's going to be the movie. Like right. if the movie is 
going to be like if because I you know there is like a, a you could do like introduce all these monsters or whatever and these characters and then branch out from there but too often you're right it feels like you know there's a movie being made and then they're doing too much to be like just doing and there's more right there's gonna be more but here's the thing and is there and, and when you think about it there's like in Kong in Kong Skull Island there's like you know Monarch which is the name of the thing so yeah. alright that's like a couple logos and like pieces of dialogue somewhere and they mention Godzilla in passing and not even by name at one point mm-hmm. when they talk about like you know you know the 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 the, the bombings in the bikini atoll like they were trying to kill something like that was it and then right. it's never mentioned again has yeah. no bearing on the plot right. and um and then the only movie that leans into it heavily is um king of the monsters um, which at that point is fine because now you're three movies into it Indeed. so it's like you've you can acknowledge set up it. this world yeah right but this is like you know but at the end of the day Batman versus Superman yeah. gave us the Martha thing, gave us <laughs> Granny's peach tea. So I can I can really complain. Yeah, it, it, even even amongst it, there there's still it gave us there's the still best some great stuff. the best news anchor line in a movie ever. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's after the work day in the, in the <laughs> it's city. It's a good thing it's after the work yeah. day, so nobody's downtown. Yeah, <laughs> that's when um, people are there. <laughs> funny. All right, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Um, it's fine that we're starting late because there's actually not too much we're doing to kind of like lead into the movie. Well, actually, no. Today, this is a uh, deep dive. So we, we there's no need to do a break this time around. We can just like whole hog talk right. about the movie. Well, I mean, one of the things that we'll say is just like in terms of any preamble. Is that you say was... whole hog? Yeah. Ugh. Gross. Ham hog. Um, Ham hog. I was always interested that this did get a sequel because the perception around Pacific Rim 1 mm-hmm. was that it didn't do yeah. like the numbers that you would need to get a sequel. So so that's the big thing to kind of like lead into this is that I think notoriously I think my here's how I have always seen the attitude toward the first movie at large and you can come in if you've, you you can interrupt me if you if you think you if you think differently that it was somewhat of a fan favorite um that generally people dug it fans really really liked it but it's just uh, at large did not do well enough. It was it, that, it, 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 or it was a disappointment enough, and then to the point that a sequel was not a like a foregone conclusion. Right. It was one of those things where it definitely the 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 people who are interested in kind of giant monster stuff came out. That niche audience did. There was some kind of push for it. I mean, it didn't like bomb bomb. It you know. But it, you know, we mentioned it was like third, yeah, place opening weekend. You know, it it just didn't have the legs. Mm-hmm. You know, at that especially at that point, what that was the that was the summer that was twenty thirteen. So that was the summer of Iron Man three, and that was like right after Avengers and right after Bat, uh, Dark Knight Rises, and so it was just kind of like the the numbers for these type. You know, the, the it was just like we're in an era where the the box office numbers for like you know these nerd superhero, you know kind of action things were on the rise um and do you also think the fact that it came third to despicable me Two and daddy's home Two? the grown-ups Two? oh sorry grown-ups Two. like daddy's home Two is a christmas movie yeah (laughs) like maybe like die hard (laughs) 
Uh, grown ups uh, too. Uh, yeah, but grown ups too. But do you think there's a little bit of that where it's like, well, man, this movie isn't even holding up to a yes. like a you know as like a big summer blockbuster. Yeah. it was just a thing where it's just like the perception that I had, um, you know, being at that point a box office junkie. Yeah, um, was uh, it basically was what I just said that like was you know didn't bomb, but wasn't like oh we need the green light of secret right away it was just basically like the the feeling around everybody around that time was like oh man we're not gonna get a sequel yeah like, there was that was that defeated that's, feeling that's de- that was like, like there was definitely that defeated feeling of just like well this is gonna be our one movie right you're right and um and another thing to also remember at the time because this is a legendary movie that legendaries partnered up with warner brothers at the time uh so there was that sense where it's like, well, is this even going to get a sequel now? Um, it, it def it did well right, right, internationally, right. very very well, and especially in China, it did it did very well, and um, and it continued to do business for a while. Um, so Warner Brothers was partnered up with Legendary for a long time, and then eventually um, they partnered up with Universal yes, instead. I remember this, but because Legendary would did like the Batman films, they like teamed up with Nolan yeah. at at. at um, for a lot of Nolan's work at Warner Brothers, and then I remember that the deal sh- shifted to to Universal. And another important, so that's important to note because at that point Guillermo del Toro is still on board gung ho to do a sequel mm-hmm. to to Pacific Rim, and um, it was one of those things where he he was always talking about like you know uh, in vagaries definitely of like this this is where the sequel is going to be it's going to be a little bit of a time jump it's going to be a different type of movie um, which is fun because it sets itself up with like the war is you know won and they close the breach and, and everything uh, the one thing uh, that he did uh, confirm way back was that the uh, scientist characters of uh, Newton Gottlieb were definitely going to be in the next one uh, that that was like a for sure thing and he said them plus uh, Ron Perlman's Hannibal Chow character were his favorites to write for and, and direct in the first film. And uh, even though it, it was funny because it seemed like he was giving himself some room. It seemed like he wasn't like, oh, everybody's coming back. It's going to be like a direct sequel. He like knew some characters that were going to come back and, and then some that weren't. But those were the two that he had said that he was going to. But so anyway, so Legendary teams up with Universal, but then it's still not a for sure thing. Like, you know, Del Toro talks about how he's still, like, submitting in pitches and budgets for it, and it's not quite moving anywhere. Um, and it's so- like, too, because you got to remember, too, that Del Toro, obviously we talked about, is the one who takes on a lot of projects, but it's not like he, you know, it, it, like, he, he definitely has other things that he's interested in doing. So if it's one of those things where you can also imagine that if they're not greenlighting a... Pacific Rim sequel pitch and you know he'll kind of push for it but at the end of the day he'll go to like a Crimson Peak or he'll do a Shape of Water because you know it's like he has definitely he wants to work he's someone who loves the work so you know I think that was another thing where it's just like we would love to see Guillermo del Toro do more but there was also that kind of perception well like Guillermo del Toro is definitely a busy guy taking Mm -hmm. all these projects so it's not a guarantee that even he will you know be able to come back for it right so I think things change in around in January of 2016 uh, when a um, <clears throat> excuse me ooh, um, uh, the multinational um, multimedia group um, yeah or not multimedia sorry I am getting my wires crossed um, 
so this company, the the Wanda Group, which is a Chinese multinational conglomerate, um, they um, acquired um, uh, or they teamed up. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm sorry, I'm all over the place today. Partnered up. Uh, yeah, they partnered up with uh, Legendary Entertainment and acquired well acquired it really, um, and um, that became one of uh, this group's. Uh, biggest uh, generations of revenue is through like legendary film so it's like this just group coming this uh, chinese conglomerates coming in and you know they are acquiring legendary so now you know they have kind of like a movie studio behind them and then they have some distribution with uh universal at the time so uh so the reason that's like a big thing is because as i said before the first pacific rim did very well internationally and in china so i think that that leads a little bit and and to be frank we had talked about because legendary being a chinese-owned company is that it has given them a little bit more free reign for a lot of these uh like these types of movies Mm -hmm. i think um and you know we talked about a lot of in when we talked a lot about the box office for the King of the Monsters movies, why some of the international box office numbers meant a little bit more uh, to them because it was an internationally owned company. Um, so I think that gave them a little bit more wiggle room to be like, okay, well, maybe there is room uh, to for a sequel to yeah. this because you know now we're owned by the place where this movie uh, did did, its biggest did, did better. Um, so so that changes so that changes a little bit about that and. Um, and so it's fairly soon after that because the acquisition um, between the Wanda Group and Legendary happens in January of 2016. And then the next month, uh, the studio and Del Toro himself go to Twitter and announce that Del Toro is, in fact, not directing uh, the uh, the sequel and that they are bringing on a director, uh, Stephen S. DeKnight. And Stephen S. DeKnight, um, at this point, because this would have been his directorial debut for a big movie of this, uh, was an executive producer and showrunner for shows such as Spartacus. And I believe he show ran the first season of Daredevil? Yes. That was, like, a big one? At least that's why his name was all around at the time. Yeah, it was Daredevil. I can't remember, because there was some one of those... I I forget that if Daredevil was one of the, the one where, like... They had like a switch at some point where he either came. Well, he yeah. So he directed the first episode and then show ran the first season. Yeah, and okay. then that was it. Right. Okay. Because yeah, because it was between the seasons that they changed showrunners. I remember now. You're right. But yeah, yeah, that was because that was like people forget now. Um, but Daredevil, that Netflix Daredevil show, was definitely like a big splash. Yes. When it came out. Now the rest of that series, like I mean, I I still like all the both seasons of Jessica Jones. Yeah. Um but basically like that Daredevil show was definitely like you know a big deal when it came out. Um people remember the, the first hallway fight still. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> That's uh, they, so true. Uh they still remember the hallway fight and they still remember just kind of the just the show was a big thing. So he was definitely a name to kind of keep it one of those names to keep an eye on. So um and Stephen S. Knight, other than doing that, it's funny because his name was kind of thrown around in a lot of different like groups and a lot of like big pro- big budget projects. Obviously, he's getting some clout because of his show running at the time. But you like you heard his name. Remember, it was during this period where it's like every franchise had a writer room. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I mean, yes and no because I remember most specifically it was like. Transformers yeah. had it. Well, he that that was like the big one that I think he was rumored to be a part of at one. But point. I just remember Transformers had it and then it immediately dissolved. Yeah, like nothing ever came of it. Yeah, 
that's like because you know what happened it's because michael bay's like all right guys well good luck have fun i'm glad and they're like all right michael let's go and then everybody met in and then michael's like oh i forgot my keys hey wait i just had an idea for another transformers they're like god damn it now we gotta do it (laughs) quick get the bumblebee guy out get travis knight out of the room real quick (laughs) get green like that real quick um so yeah, so this was like a big kind of thing where it's like, you know, his name is in, you know, the media for something like really anticipated with Daredevil and now um and everybody always went back to it. it's like, "Oh, you know, he he he's like the showrunner for all these different shows." So this is he's coming in making his big debut with this. Um and it was an interesting choice at the time, you know. It, it it's kind of one of those things where I it, you're setting yourself up, especially in the film Twitter world, that when Del Toro drops out and somebody comes in, that yep. you know, it, unless it's like, it's got to be another person. Martin, of Martin the, Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Uh, but it's like it's got to be something of like that level mm-hmm. to people. You know, I, I kind of remember the same similar type of sentiment to the whole uh, transition from Edgar Wright to Peyton Reed. Yeah. Where, where yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, and you know, and and I like in the the Peyton Reed ant-man movies i I think they turned out well but you know it's edgar wright so like when you have edgar wright and then you you know bring it down to like you know the guy who directed bring it on you know you know and i like bring it on but it's bring it on is good no bring it on is good but you know what i mean it's like you know you're setting yourself up for people to be really turned off yes no i mean there's definitely multiple 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 but at the same time are we really were we really that surprised that Del, Del Toro no. wasn't going to direct it? I mean, just knowing Del Toro in and of himself, it's just like he again, man of many hands in projects. So again, if timing didn't work out and they wanted to make this movie, I'm sure he's still kind of you know help producing as much as he can. You know, his name's still like on the movie in some way or another. But there's no shock. There's no shot. No, I, I mean, I like the so. the only thing that he would have really dropped his schedule to do was Hellboy three. Right. Like I feel like that was the only thing where it's like if if they said you were doing Hellboy three, he would have just dropped everything to do that. But I just feel like as much as he enjoyed doing Pacific Rim, and as much as that film has his you know style all over it, like again, he's kind of in the realm of you know he's doing he's done doing Crimson Peak, and he's about to he's not that far away from doing the movie he's going to win him an Oscar. Right. Uh, you know, and those are two movies that are also very, things very close to his well, heart. Well, I mean, but that's like the thing, you know, just to get that out of the way is that, you know, he really dropped out of this and then ended up doing that. Yeah. You know, it's Shape of Water. Right. And and as far as I'm concerned, all parties were better for it. Yes. And we'll get into that in, in a minute. So, uh, Stephen, uh, so, you know, so a couple rewrites are done on the script. Um, more writers are brought in. Stephen, um, Stephen S. DeKnight does some of his little rewrites. Casting wise, the first big casting, of course, was John Boyega, um, and um, uh, and at that point, really, obviously, he's made his big debut in Star Wars: Force Awakens the yeah. previous year. It was like that and Attack the Block. Yeah, he, Attack the Block is where he made his actual debut. But yeah. if we're talking about like uh, in terms of his like, he's a star. Now, yeah, everybody like, knows him now. Like he's someone you can build a movie around. Right. Yeah, that's definitely Force Awakens. And then, and then also um, another. I just want to confirm this. Yeah. So a, a, another interesting thing about John Boyega is that Steven S. Knight really worked with him in a capacity where John uh, where John Boyega has a producer's credit on the film, and it's funny to hear tonight talk about the film um in that he actively talks about how john boyega was 
a creative partner in in, in the film, and I, and I and I think that's really cool, and I, and I actually do think it it pays off uh, going going forward. Um, in terms of uh, some of the returning characters, I mean, well, you know, some other characters that they cast, like you know, um, Scott Scott Eastwood, which is like, okay, that's your white guy in the movie, right? Um, new, newcomer. I'm seeing like what her. Uh, yes, yeah, so I believe this would have been her film debut um, is Kaylee Spaney. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, who plays our female lead mm-hmm. of the film. Seems like the type of role that they definitely would have just done auditions yeah. for. Uh, yeah, It's just like auditions, you know, a couple, like 100 girls, and who's the best? Yeah. Um, so in terms of returning characters, we have uh, Rinko Kikuchi returning as Mako Mori from the first film, and, and we have Bern Gorman uh, and Charlie Day uh, reprising their roles as Gottlieb and Newt, the scientists. Um, and uh, the big one of the biggest uh, absences uh, from the film is uh, Charlie Hunnam's uh, character. Um, who had who was not able to do this film due to his scheduling conflicts with King Arthur and the Legend of the Sword. So, he so was, was he? Do you, do you know if he was scheduled to be like make an appearance? In the I movie? Um, because it really does seem like the movie is situated more in that King of the Monsters realm, where it's like, yeah, we do have a returning character or two, but we're not gonna bring everybody back. You know. Yeah, I don't know specifically. I I think it, this is one of those cases where it was going to be clear that he just wasn't going to be available mm-hmm. uh, from the movie. And and to be honest, like, and that's why I brought up those Del Toro comments from when he was talking about just writing the movie that it didn't seem like that there was like a definitive let's bring everybody back yeah. for for the for the sequel. So there, there may not have been. And again, like at this point, it's not like they have anybody nailed down. Like you know, this was a movie. I don't think that. Like I mean, when it was at Warner Brothers, they weren't going to make a sequel, and Legendary wasn't going to make a sequel for a long time. Yeah. So or not Legendary. So it's um, not like people had Universal. contracts or anything like. Yeah. That. No, I, I think it was just the case where they finally made the movie, and then you know he was just scheduling conflicts and couldn't do it, and they weren't attached to the character in the first place. And and Stephen as the Knight, I think, has talked about it a little bit, and you know he gives some like fun, creative like direct answers from you know his mind but it kind of seems like it's just like yeah he's just not yeah he's just not gonna uh be in in the film so yeah so and then uh production started um in 2016 um november and then ended shortly early in 2020 sorry 2016 started and then ended early 2017 um and uh while the composers did not uh, return, um, the let's see, originally composer John Paseno was going to uh, come in, and he, um, looking at his filmography, um, okay, just kind of like you know nothing, you know, a work a work a workman's composer does his, does his work, nothing really that pops out to me. But the only reason I bring this up is because eventually he had to drop out and was replaced by one. Lauren Balf. Lauren Balf. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, which there's no way you would possibly know, is Lauren Balf has kind of cemented himself into somewhat of a an, an iconic meme in our in our in a little our bit of group. an inside joke, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but Lauren uh, Balf talking about a working composer, yeah, um, a, a uh, Hans Zimmer protege, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, and like I mean, he has a. He has an impressive uh, resume. All in he's his, definitely um, one of like the yeah. the rising kind of composers, like one of those names that you would put in with like kind of the 
the Giacchinos of the world, right. just like someone who you're gonna like. He's gonna pump out a, a good score. I mean, like his his we we talked about him a little bit. I think in, oh, in the Mission Impossible it, Fallout and our Fallout yeah. episode. Oh, so and, good. And his his Fallout score is incredible. Yeah. It's one, it's no, it's one, very it's, good. You know, it's like you know he, he, that's a good legacy of composers within that franchise. But his Fallout score is is a standout. So. Yeah. Um, also, another underrated score uh, he did was uh, the Lego Batman movie, which yeah. if you listen to that score, that's that's a really good score, and he knows like all the motifs and stuff. It, it's great. And also, for those of you who don't know the composing world, he's just definitely a very much a big behind it, that that field requires a lot more behind the scenes than i think you would think mm-hmm. and uh apparently he works his butt off behind the scenes from you know just information that i uh that we know from uh people that we know that work in the field so that is great so um so kind of leading up to this movie before we get into it it it, it did strike me as significantly different than the lead up to the first Pacific Rim. Yeah. Because we we had talked about leading up to the first Pacific Rim as it being like everybody, like Guillermo del Toro's attached. It, it was a movie where the idea was like very fresh, especially for right. that scale and for that big of a budget. Like a year before right. Godzilla, so we didn't even have that yeah. in our pocket yet. And I think the other thing about, to be quite honest, and this was definitely my reaction when it was first happening, was I think everybody was kind of taken aback that a sequel was actually happening. Right. And I think they get different opinions like, okay, no Del Toro this time and but also oh, it has John Boyega in it and you know, you know, oh, Charlie Day's back. But there was there was there was this sense of like just kind of like, oh, really? Yeah. Like we're doing a sequel. I, I, I kind of got a sense of like too little, too late. Kind of, yeah. yeah. It was one of those things where and it was like because it was kind of far removed, and we now had the monster verse in our right, grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and like and ob- and like things like you know superhero movies have now gone even further right, than where they had. Because like, cause one of those things where this is what this comes out twenty eighteen. So th- this ultimately came out in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen, right? Um, so this is like Infinity War. Yeah. Year so basically, and- it's just like like you know. The first Pacific Rim comes out the year after Avengers, the 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 year of Iron Man three, so it's still like you know Avengers was the biggest thing ever and it was this thing, but it was still you know that was always the question of just like how how long we're we gonna sustain this and all that sort of stuff and we were just in the you know even pre Guardians and all this other kind of unique stuff coming out from Marvel, um, and then by the time you get to Infinity War and it's like you know we really know the place of kind of the blockbuster and. Right. Every, you know, we've had Star Wars movies now, and we've had the bunch of Avengers. We've had more DC movies. It's basically like the the market is so full of these types of movies too that it just felt like it just like kind of got lost in the shuffle. Sure. A little bit. And 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 the in the too little too late. I what I mean by that was that I think there was this sense of like like what you had said, all this stuff has been happening. And then so like time had gone on. So it's like, okay, a sequel's coming out, but like it took this long to get a sequel and Del Toro's not even going to do it. Like, this, like yeah. why? So there was a little bit of a sense that right. it, like, I, I think that to there, a, to a degree that I think that people who liked the first movie had already resigned that that was the movie. Yes. And, and I think that's the thing. It's just like, I think there would have been like, if you would have kind of pushed for a sequel earlier, which it probably wasn't possible just by the box office yeah. numbers. But there was kind of going to be like more of a hype, even if they didn't get Del Toro. I think there would have been more like, okay, well, you know, this is going to be our new thing. Where it's just like by 2018, I just feel like the hype around Pacific Rim had just it sure. just deteriorated. It did. It did. And I mean, and I and I don't want to speak for you, but for me, it was kind of in a position where. Well, I didn't really love the first one all that much. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I didn't see this in theaters. Yeah, like, I, I just didn't have a reason to. 
you know, even in the days even before Movie Pass and 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 AMC A list and yeah. stuff, where it's just like I'm not gonna pay my you know fourteen twenty dollars to see this movie right. when, especially because it's like okay, well it's a big year, it's 2018, lots of stuff is happening. So you know. yeah, and 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 there was a level of and this happens where you know, um, I mean like how many like this happens with every big actor where it's like now they're the hot thing and now they're gonna be in this other like they're gonna be in this other franchise. So for instance, it's like Chris Hemsworth this Thor. Now he's going to be in Snow White and the Huntsman. Like it, it's one of those, right. and then and then so it was kind of like John Boyega is huge in Star Wars, and now we're gonna he's going to be in Pacific Rim too. And I'm only saying that because that was just kind of the the optics of it yeah. at, at the time. Right. And I did see this in theaters, right. and and like you know, it's just like I said, like if I was gonna if I was gonna have to choose between this and Solo, yeah, I was gonna choose Solo. Right. Like it was just like I you know it was just like I think this came out what. This was like a January, February release. No, no, this this was this in, is later in, year. No, this this was in like March. Okay, so yeah, yeah. we're right around Solo. Yeah. So it was, was it Solo bit, in March? Yeah, remember? Or maybe, oh yeah. Wait, hold on. Are you sure about that? Maybe. Oh, maybe it was supposed to be and it got delayed. I swear it was like earlier. Maybe it was May. I don't know. Wait, are you talking about Solo, a Star Wars story? Yeah. <laughs> I might be wrong. May, May. So you're not you're not cra- that crazy. Oh, I think it yeah. was. There was something about it where it was supposed to come out earlier. I think so. I think it it was pushed back. I think there was like a weird like March release. Um, So then it got pushed back. So I did see this in theaters, and I remember my attitude towards it was we had um, like I was invited, and it was kind of like the attitude with it's like all right, let's just go. Like night at the movies. Who like who cares? Probably going to be dumb. Like let's just like it's let's just go see it. Like you'll probably get some sort of. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a giant robot monster movie. Of course, I'm going to enjoy it to some degree. You're going to go into it hoping that there's a sword moment for you. Yeah, yeah. It's like listen, I went to go see the Meg in theaters, so it's like I I will I will go as I said elsewhere. I I will earn my chance to see garbage. Like it's um. So I remember going to see it in theaters like having that kind of attitude towards it and i have to tell you nick i remember getting to like we're, we're well into the movie at this point and then we're like into the third act and i turned to my entire party that i'm with and i and i had to say wait a minute is this movie great <laughs> and and i think this is where i have to drop down the glove and just come out say it loud say it proud that um yeah uh I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill that Pacific Rim Uprising is the superior film of the two, um it's uh, like and honestly the only the only thing about it comparing the two is that the first one looks nicer. That's really the only like the only thing I would say. It's like <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm in I'm in total agreement. It, it, it's it's better in almost every way. It it really. It really is. It's got more interesting characters. Yeah. It's got a more distinctive personality for those characters. It's got more distinctive personalities for the the Jaegers. Um, Story-wise, it makes way better use of its concept and story than the first one. There's more fun twists and turns mm-hmm. within the story. Pace-wise, it's, yes, it's pace very wise, like this. That's the thing, especially watching these two so close. Because you definitely came... I remember you came from that movie and you were championing it and when eventually you got it you you got it on blu-ray or whatever and you were basically like we have to sit down and watch this and i just remember well because i remember you and you had that opinion of the first one so that's why i was very excited for you to see it as well i think the thing is it's just like yes it's just the movie just it runs at a good pace it more 
it better you know spaces out its monster mm-hmm. action and its robot action but i also think it genuinely uses the 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 dead not the dead space but the space between the monster actions to kind of really do stuff with right which i think is something that we've talked about that the first movie for us kind of just lacks and i think it's really distinctive just the beginning of these two movies where they're both similarly start they both start with kind of a montage catching you up on the world and pacific rum one it's like about the first appearance of the kaijus all the way up until the the jaegers building up until like you know the first appearance of the the mark three where it's like john boyega's character um basically introduces himself as the son of uh jake pentecost jake pentecost so he immediately starts with talking about his father being the hero of the Great War. Yeah. And then it just immediately was like, I'm not my father. And it smash cuts to him partying. Yeah. And it's like, that immediately tells you that this movie has just an ounce more personality. Right, right. And you can just tell, like, like it's not a fair comparison, but like, you have John Boyega as your lead. Oh, yeah. And it, you it, you it, can just tell immediately within that opening montage and his voiceover that he just he just has that charisma inherent within him mm-hmm. like he just has it and he and you already know that the movie's going to be silly cuz he's doing drug he's doing trades for like cereal and oreos right, right. like, cuz the just, concept is it's been 10 years since the war and what's interesting about it like I have to give this movie I mean I give it all the credit but one of the things about it is that it it, it it's a pretty it it's a pretty what's the what's the best word uh, for lack of a better term it's a pretty smart way of doing a sequel to the next one because I think it would be very easy to be like well now the, the, the monsters are back and like you yeah. know it's like oh like we thought that we closed the br- the breach but we actually didn't and, and now they've opened another breach and the movie and the story takes steps to kind of like create a, a whole new different world and right. a different thing like and really so genuinely explore uh, a world post-war yeah like so, it definitely doesn't like just i mean i think there are some things where it's, there's there's some stuff that i still wish they were could explored a little bit more sure uh that i'm just interested inherently with and, and of course I'm, I'm gonna like because you know i have to acknowledge this for people yes it's great and it's awesome and it makes good on the promise of what it is based off the type of movie that it is because I know you have to like specify that out for some people that it's like perfect for what it's trying to be yeah. but you know I'm, that's just me but trying I, to cover I, my I, ass I feel like it also doesn't hold back from creating this post-war world and, and yeah. kind of taking the steps to what would actually happen uh, you know and just kind of like how, how would the Jaegers now get used well now they're kind of just generally like police forces in, mm-hmm. in some of these parts of the world and they're again they're kind of continuing you know, John Boyega is, you know, definitely not his father. You know, uh, we learn more about, you know, him getting kicked out and everything like that. But basically, he's become kind of a thief. He steals, like, old Jaeger parts, and in return, he gets food and and different stuff in that realm. But it's like you, you just know there's a certain uh, different level yeah. of what this what the movie is. It's a, taking it itself is f- a little bit, like, less seriously. It's a little bit more light uh, in some aspects. Yeah. You just know it's going to be a little bit more colorful. Um, not that the first one didn't have its colors, but it, you just can tell when he's like trading for Captain Crunch and See, Oreos and he's like treating them like, like yeah. they're, they're drugs and they're gold. It's just like, 
you just know that there's just a different tone, and it's just I feel like it's a little bit more inviting. Well, it, it, it's it's actually pretty good storytelling for multiple ways because a it, you're showing the tonal difference between the two films. You're showing who this character is, which by the way I think is a real benefit yeah. from having John Boyega. You can see that John Boyega was much more involved in the movie. Uh, than just being an actor, because I think that whole Jake Pentecost is like a like a respectful but partier. Like you know, yeah. he like he's he's a nice dude. He's a good dude, but you know, he's gonna like you know like get out get out the beers and like you know do a rager at his place. And I, I get the sense that there is an element of that in John Boyega's actual life. So you can just and it just speaks to not only him but the creative force between him and Stephen uh, the Knight that they're like. Oh yeah, let, let, let's play with that. Now I'm extrapolating, but I I I think there must be a right. correlation. And I think it's, the two. it's a great character introduction. It's a great introduction to the movie. Just yeah. like um, even more so than than the the first. Pacific oh Room. well, the other thing I was going to say, but then it also kind of shares with you what the world is too. It's a it's a pretty effective way of it's establishing this is what the world is now because you know in the first one it's so much of like. Oh, it's like dread, and the world is on the brink of collapse, and we're at a war that could right. destroy either side at any moment. Now it's like, all right, it's been ten years since the war, and then they even make a step to say, like, you know, some towns are, you know, still kind of like shanty town s, but for most of the part, the world is being able to pull himself together. So the world in general is kind of at a place where, you know, he's trading, he's doing trades for hot sauce and cookies and, and, yeah. and, uh, what was the, what was the other Captain thing? Crunch. And Captain Crunch. But the whole point was like, well, the world is in a pretty decent place where even his rogue lifestyle is still being spent on like frivolous things. And, and it's, and it's a good job that the movie sets up the world. Right. So it's not like you have in the back of your mind. It's like, Oh, but a monster could come up. And in that way, the movie keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Yeah. And even like the, what were the, that opening sequence leads off where it's just like, again, he's talking about how Jaeger parts, you know, there's rogue Jaegers, people trying to make their own Jaegers or, or, or readapt Jaegers for their own personal use. So Jaeger parts are a big deal. And you kind of get this scene where, you know, it's like he's supposed to steal a Jaeger core mm-hmm. um, and with a guy who doesn't trust him because he's betrayed him before uh, or betrayed, yeah. betrayed other well, people before. Tell that to Conja Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in both. He's in both movies. Um, but like the guy, you know, he's you know John Boyega, uh, you know Jake Pentecost has, mm-hmm. has betrayed other guys he's traded with, and he's like, well, I'm, I'm helping you out now, so it's gonna be all good. But yeah. then he's like one of those things where he gets there, and the core's already been taken, or like the core's not there, so they're thinking like, oh, he's like screwing with us, but it's really like someone else took it. So, but basically, you gotta get this thing where. He simultaneously like shows that like he's gonna get away from these guys. He's smart. He, he... I, and I can't and I cannot reiterate enough how way more efficient, way more entertaining, and way more interesting it is than anything that Charlie Hunnam has in in the first movie. But it's just like you show a personality, you show his smarts. Yeah. Um, then, but you still show he's like a good guy. Like I said, like he's not like an irredeemable rogue. He and, he has a heart still. Yeah. And and I have to say very impressed with just him John Boyega in the movie as an actor as an actor absolutely absolutely because you can tell like again this is that charisma but you can tell like he's a good actor but there there is and I don't want to say it's like the equivalent I don't want to say it's the exact same I'm just using this as kind of like a reference point but when I saw this movie I said there is a legit like Will Smith and Independence Day quality to him in this film where it's just and by that I mean 
just such a natural fit at being at bringing himself into the role. Now, I like him as you know Finn, especially like in in the fur in Force Awakens. Like I, I like John Boyega in that role, but you can tell that there is a level of more comfortability that ends up paying better in a in a role like this. Yeah. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was just absolutely impressed with him. I I think that his ability to go from you know the the snarky badass while maintaining kindness is near masterful yeah. like in terms of like his range and just putting uh, his, i think he's really good and i think like just putting that natural sense of humor into the character as yeah. well when he like keeps referring to himself as good looking and sexy and yeah and talking about scott eastwood that way too. yeah <laughs> like just like it's just a natural fit um but but another thing because you're kind of leading into that point in the movie when they're trying to find a core through this whole uh this whole kind of like set piece where he's going through the scrapyard and he's like escaping from some uh from some criminals that he was helping um that he comes across our secondary lead um who is uh played by kaylee spaney uh, amara namani um where did they find this girl like I love this girl in in, in, it's very, in this movie. Very good young first, yeah. like you know, basically like Haley Steinfeld in yes. Bumblebee yeah. type of performance. Yeah, and, and again, I, I'm not saying like, oh, give her the Academy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, I was very impressed yeah. with her and her chemistry. With that was maybe the best thing I was most impressed by because I think that you know at times maybe you could see that like maybe some of like the the solo things that she had to say you know maybe those moments felt the most like new actress but i felt like what was really just flew off of the screen just magically was just like how she bounced off of like john boyega and other characters yeah i think her and john boyega have fantastic chemistry i think the characters having good chemistry too yeah helps as well because i think you know, I think we're getting into the movie, but I think that, you know, you can see that Pentecost, uh, the younger Pentecost, sees some of him in her, like some of his younger self, that self that he kind of lost right. during the war. And so there's definitely that kind of care and, and relationship right. and that mentorship, especially once he actually starts training to be a Jaeger pilot. And I'm sure he sees a lot of the same struggles that he had back in his day. And, and the movie- but I also think that, again, great introduction because you, 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 you see her smart. She's building her own Jaeger. Yeah. And, you know, and, <coughs> and then like even just like um, that she cares for this Jaeger and, and, and you know, he's given it a name. It's Scrapper, right? Scrapper. Yeah, Scrapper. Yeah. Yeah. So it's making sure. Um, but it's like a it's smaller, so it's a one one person Jaeger, right, and, right, and all that sort of stuff. And you could just immediately tell like the type of character, and I think that's really a benefit for many of the characters in this movie. Yeah, and, and, and again, get that introduction simultaneously introducing this character, expanding the world a little bit, and also introducing something new. So now we're introducing this this whole like. Well, if it's a smaller Jaeger, you can pilot it with one person, and the whole fact that we're getting this smaller Jaeger scrapper, and then it's like it can it can like Sonic the Hedgehog into a and ball, the other, and, and and the other thing that's the other thing about scrapper is immediately, immediately with that kind or oh, that Jaeger, and even with that first encounter with with the more traditional Jaeger, you immediately get. Just so much more uniqueness right, with right. the Jaegers and so much more bounce and action. I think that's really, for me, what truly puts this movie over that first one. Mm. Is Like I said, I can appreciate and I still do enjoy that Hong Kong sequence in that first movie. And it's the one that shows the most potential for what the movie is. And I think 
this movie really captures the true potential of these. And I just think that the the faster style, the more unique style of the monsters, or um, I mean, not really the monsters, but the the Jaeger. I keep saying the monsters, but the Jaeger, especially once you get later and you get to see how they all have unique weapons and all unique style. I just think you really put that at the forefront of this movie more so than the original Pacific Rim did. And it just makes all those fights and all those action sequences more interesting because you're, you're, I think you've put it best in that this movie is like every action scene is a sword moment. Every moment, because there's something new being introduced. And I know that some people will take issue with that, but I just feel like that's kind of the fun of it is that each Jaeger has so much uniqueness to it. It's constantly pulling out surprises. Everything's much faster. And it kind of makes sense within the world because it is 10 years later. And- I, yeah. And my thing is like, but why wouldn't you want that? Because I felt like a little bit of like that the first movie was kind of pulling its punches a little bit. And I felt like I will always, whether for better or for ill, I will always really have a soft spot in my heart for all any movie that throws it all on the wall yeah you know even if it doesn't pay off but i I think it does but in a way i don't think it's done in kind of like a very like sloppy force kind of way it's like you've had 10 plus years of them having all all of these robots and in this world and it almost i feel more organically interconnected with the action that it's like all right like do do this move do this move and it's like you know and then it feels like it it just feels like a well-oiled machine and it makes and it honestly in a way makes me feel more immersive in the world like i actually in a way the one thing because even though and i kind of have alleviated my stance on this about how the the jaegers and the kaiju are represented in the first movie where i think it does lean a little bit more on that side of these things are huge like heavy like beautiful things that need to move carefully and slowly and and elegantly and and i get that i i think honestly i think this movie went for the well no it's giant robots it has definitely a saturday morning cartoon quality to it so like let's like kind of suck some of that realism out of it and 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 to be fair i think they found a perfect medium for it because i feel like you still get a sense that these are huge things fighting each other and they play with the scale and they do all that stuff. But for my money, it's just, this was just, it's the more satisfying experience with, uh, with all the, with all these set pieces. For me, it's more fun to watch this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's just because there's more energy and I will, I mean, I appreciate a movie that, you know, it's like, I appreciate an action movie that has that kind of more serious kind of slower energy to it. There are definitely really good ones, but Majority of the time for me, I will always take like the the faster pace, more energized action. Yeah, I will always take that. Like, I mean, and I think like you can kind of tell most of the time in like the Godzilla movies. You know, if we kind of go back to what we've seen over the podcast, like I'm gonna take kind of the the more high octane action of like Megalon, right? Exactly. Or uh, you know, the first Mecha Godzilla over you know kind of the the slog that is the end of um, Hedorah. Right. Or- well, I mean, but going back, it's like similar to why I think a lot of people consider Kong Skull Island to be their, yeah. their favorite of the the three because it's a very, like, very, like, energetic, monster-filled movie. Right, like, yeah. it, it just moves and, at a general pace yeah. that's, I think, Indeed. more satisfying to people. Indeed. Um, and, 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 that's like a, and that's, like, another thing 
that is interesting while we're on that topic because kind of like getting into I know what some of the people's criticisms about the movie are because I I do know that some of that does attribute to some people not liking this movie as much now I I always I've just kind of like taken myself off the table with arguing special effects with people um you know I I I think I've heard a lot of people just think that this movie looks terrible for for some reason um some of that is you know this this weird anti-cg thing that we still have going on for whatever reason i mean like dude it's giant it's giant robots and monsters First one like, but, yeah. CG. right but so this is where it, it kind of comes into it and, and and this is where i will acknowledge something and i've acknowledged this since the first time i've seen the movie is that from like an autorist director's pov the first movie just looks nicer like it it look it it, it's got like a more interesting color palette it's got a little bit more of a visual flair to it um and this movie is kind of shot and looks a little bit more basic and and pedestrian like um there there really aren't any of like the um the whether it be visual effects flares or like you know we, we we spent a lot of time on that last episode talking about just the production design of of the yeah. first film and, and this movie to be fair doesn't really have any of that mm-hmm. so there's a level of that that i do understand that like i i will acknowledge um some of that but what i won't what i won't back up off is just how incredible and satisfying all the jaeger and monster action is like it's just smooth it feel my whole thing with and again i, I actually said this during kong skull island where i think that there is a benefit to these films treating these scenes as fight scenes because i feel like sometimes the energy will go on to it's like well it's like a special effects set piece thing like keep it on screen for like a minute or two and then let's get back to the people and i feel like with a lot of these movies they spend some time like no 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 like imagine how what is the effort you would put into a john wick fight scene yeah we're gonna do that just digitally like that that's just what we're gonna do and i always have given the credit unless you're going to do like some other big story thematic thing which like for instance like i think the two godzilla films do which i think there's a little bit more theme and story going on there so they kind of get away with it um but like, if you want to have like big, crazy monster robot action, make good on it, yeah. as as I feel, and I, and I think this movie does it does that awesome. I think that anytime the Jaegers are fighting each other, like the 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 evil Jaeger, rogue Jaeger is um is it, is it black obsidian or, or something like that um uh something like that. But the evil Jaeger in, in the film with the two swords. Um, he isn't Obsidian Fury. Is that Obsidian thing? Fury? That yeah. that that's what it is. Thank you. Um, so so all the fights with like Obsidian Fury are not only just like really fun and fun to look at, but it does have that element, like you said, where each Jaeger is pulling out a new trick. Like um, the new Gypsy, like has like a magnet like thing where it's like picking up rubble and throwing it. Like um, the uh, you know, the evil one, he's got like two swords, but these swords are on fire. <laughs> like, it's well, but, like, and it's also like, again, it's just like you get the moments again, those action moment reveals where it's like, you know, because the, the new um, Gypsy Avenger, yeah, as it's called, um, you know, has the one sword and it pulls it out, and then immediately afterwards, um, Obsidian Fury pulls out two swords, yeah, and immediately you get that moment, like, oh man, yeah, um. And but like it's so cool. I just think, but I, I just go back. I just think that first. And it looks great. I'm sorry. It looks awesome. Especially, I mean, it's like they are doing this all 
all these scenes take place in the daytime, right? Except like the 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 big like kind of into third act like attack, right? Um, you know where the the base which is kind welcome of change of pace as far as I'm concerned, right? Like, but it's just like it's definitely a different pace, and I, I just feel like you look at that first sequence where it's it's scrapper versus the giant giant Jaeger and it's like you see it's like oh it's like this big thing running down the streets and then you immediately like gets to the foot but it's just like it is like it's rolling around like Sonic and it has all these other tricks and stuff like that and it can climb up the kaiju uh, or climb up the uh, the Jaeger and it's just it just feels more unique right and it just feels like oh this is definitely like in, more interesting from an action standpoint I, I do get the whole maybe why more people don't do the daytime thing is because, like, in general, I can definitely see where... No, I can get it. I, I can see that from, like, a cinematography standpoint, it's just not as cool looking. Because no, even if you look at Kong, which takes place a lot during the day, there's a lot of, like, you know, fuckery with, like, where the sun is placed <laughs> and everything. Like, yeah, so there's a yeah, little the bit, The sun's like, at all angles right, on Kong. It, it, it's wherever it needs to look cool. But there's a level of, like, right, I think just, the yeah, darkness and not, doing, yeah. yeah you're not going to get, like, in the light, you're not going to get, like, the, the neon of that Hong Kong sequence, which right. just does make it a little bit more cool. But, I mean, I'll, I'll give it what yeah. it is. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, but I will acknowledge that the first film in this category, like, exceeds. And then, but in most other categories, um, the, the, this movie... Um, exceeds yeah. as far as, so, as far as I'm so then concerned. we get um they eventually like get captured right. um our, our two leads and eventually um uh megamori megamori comes in and basically says to jake her her, her brother mm-hmm. um essentially like listen i've done so much to get you out of this trouble I can't just let you go, but if you come back in... And, and, you know, it's a little bit of relationship retconning. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think this was a character... Like, this son character was ever conceived in the first... Right. In, in the but first place. But basically, it's just like, listen, like, I can't, like, do much to just get you out, but if you come in uh, back to, like, the military... Right. Uh, back to, like, the Jaeger program, you know, basically, that's your way out of this. Mm-hmm. And um, so, th- and this marks our first big return of a character... Um, from from the previous film and you know it, it, it's funny because i was partly like you know did they really have to bring the, the this character back but i i actually like one of the aspects that i love about this movie is that like i said before it makes better on the promise of the first mil- f- film where it's this idea that like everybody in the world is coming together and then like you know that all these different relationships or like you know like tie us all together to you know fight the big threat and and the first movie you know doesn't really do it that well i'm just sorry it, it doesn't really and they do some interesting stuff because like make is like kind of adopted by stack or pentecost so one of the things i liked in this movie is that they really come down on that theme in the expected way where it's like, all right, everybody who, you know, is in the Jaeger program is from different places, but they also make all these like different friendship and familial connections. So they really, I, I think, do a pretty good job at at selling that, you know, Jake and um, Mako are like siblings, like that yeah. they're, or, you know, if, even if they're not biological siblings, like I think the movie does a really good enough job of being like that, you know, she, you know, she's an adoptive sibling, but they, they speak to each other as if they're blood. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, um, 
Jake Pentecost, you know, they pair him up. You know, his co-lead of the movie is, like, this young girl who's, like, younger than him, but, like, the dynamic is more of, like, this budding partnership. Like a, the, and a little bit of a brother-sister thing. Exactly, yeah. So, so the fact that, like, this movie... Is, and then they... And, you know, as we go into it, like, we'll mention... I'll mention more things, but... I just think this movie really effectively comes through on the concept that the first movie didn't really um, yeah. didn't really come through on, especially I, in those more intimate connections. I would say a couple things about that. One, I do think that even without, you know, even if it is like kind of retconning, I do also all think that it makes sense in the sense that like, you know, clearly we find out that Jake and Stacker had a major falling out and Jake just kind of went off on his own, whereas um, Mako Mori... Um, more so like stood by Stacker's side in the hopes that she would get that chance to do it. So right. it makes sense that that way. And she's Ma- come up in the world in the, yeah. that's a nice little kind of like nod. I, to would, the first s- one. I would say personally that the Mako Mori's appearance is basically halfway between being, I would say it's halfway between being that we, you know, we're bringing back a character just to kill him off element but also being necessary to the right. story and, and, and adding to the character of Jake and adding to kind of that, the his arc and his relationships. I feel like it's kind of halfway between those things um, because on the one hand, yes, it's like Mako comes in, she doesn't really get that much to do and then, spoiler alert, she is killed off uh, right. in the first, you know, in the first appearance of our rogue. Yeah. Uh, they uh, Channing Tatum'd her. Yeah, they Channing Tatum'd her. For, those, for, for the five of you that saw G.I. Joe Retaliation. Yeah. Um, or they, uh, King of the Monsters, they do, yeah. Yeah, kind of. More, I, I think more so, because Channing Tatum was the lead in the last one. <laughs> that too, um, but also I think that it's also kind of the both where it's like, you know, it's just kind of like, um, they just don't give her that much to really do and then she dies. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, I wish, you know, maybe there could have been more. But at the same time, it really does add to Jake's character and... I think it is a moment where, like, her death does profoundly affect him. Yeah. And I think it, it it's one of those things where it actually adds something to the characters. Yeah. And, as and opposed they, to King of the Monsters, where that was basically... That was it. Yeah. That, that, was, that, that was essentially... Yeah, I have to say, this movie at least does the... It, it like, gives... There, you know, it's not just the character is dead and then that's it. Like, yeah. you know, they give a time of like, oh man, yeah. like we were reflecting yeah. on this person and, and like they bring her up the a most, couple of- To me, it's still not the most ideal. Right. Um, but it, it at least works within the context of just Jake's character. Hold on, real quick. Sorry, had to turn on the AC. It's getting toasty. Um... Uh, what was I going to say? Um, another, uh, I, I probably um, am jumping ahead. Well, let me let me set the stage before I kind of jump into this portion of it and kind of addressing this criticism because a lot of this will be me talking about why this movie does it better and why everybody else is wrong. Uh, no, but uh, so pro- like one of the bigger setups of the film is that there is this uh, Chinese like tech company that is going to introduce drones, which, you know, of course, because that's not old as a somebody coming in making drones, which I have to be honest, this movie gets a lot of credit by introducing the drone thing, but not making that the thing for the third act. Yeah. Because, like, you know, it really is so, like, the villain's coming in, he's like, my satellites and my drones are going to 
do it all. Like yeah. it's like it's it's always like okay, all right. But um, so this company's yeah. coming in, and, and and that's what they're gonna do. In so a- they're basically they're making these like drones that are remotely um, piloted and can be dropped in and out. Like much more of them can be made, and basically the concept is that they're gonna, you know. They're like, oh, we're going to work in partnership with the Jaeger program, but really, like, you know, it's going to be like, we're going to take over what the Jaegers are doing. Right. It's because like, it's basically like, this, you know, especially because. It's going to get rid of pilots. Like, right. Well, it's basically like, like, you know, the idea, obviously, like the pitch, you can see it's like, well, you know, we don't really have the monsters, so we don't really need these big, you know, these big Jaegers. We can use these smaller ones to deal with kind of the more police stuff that we, the Jaegers have been kind of relegated to, mm-hmm. and it'll be, you know, faster, easier. You know, so basically that's kind of the whole pitch between this kind yeah, of right. drone drone program. Um, so and I like that. And I and I excuse me, popping off mic. I did like um that that character um play what was what was the character's name? Um uh Jing Tian who played uh Shao uh Shao Li Wen, yeah. who was the who's like the um head of that, that company. Mm-hmm. Um I thought she had a lot of like good, like hard ass, like head of a company um moments which is it's kind of fun like you you don't get to see like that role played like especially you know by like a woman like this it's like it's it's really it's really fun um you know because she has the bit because oh and then another returning character is newt played by charlie day who is back who is also you know in higher places he's now working for this uh company and uh and it's interesting because he's gone from being kind of like you know the scientist for like the Jaeger program to now I guess he's moved on to like you well know. he's basically been poached by this this company to help build their drones essentially like he's kind of you know it's kind of like he's kind of risen up the totem pole especially with his own heroism within the war and basically he's moved on to be kind of you know big money big big part of this company um you know Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, Jing Tian is the um, other scientist girl from Kong Skull Island. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't write. I, I didn't write. It's probably because I, you know, you're racist. What it, no, it, it. You know, it, it's more of like actually because. And again, not to hop too deep into that, it's like one of my complaints about that movie was like there's just too there's way too many characters. Yeah. So it's like every time her character speaks, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a character in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, but I, the reason I did want to bring it up too is because I actually think that she's very good and finds her place in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she just has the the moment with Charlie Day's character where you know she's you know speaking, um, Mandarin, Mandarin, and. Um, you know, Charlie Day can't understand it, and then she says it in English, and then she's like, "Don't," she's like, "Don't make me repeat myself in any language." And I, I just, I just thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a fun dynamic. Um, so, but but the one thing I did want to bring up, though, because I, not that this was a huge criticism, so I don't want to make it seem like this was something that had been levied at the movie a lot, but it did make me think of something about this movie, and then retrospectively about the the first movie, was that I did hear some criticism about the whole, you know, they kill the Megamori character, um, who is like the Japanese character, and they kind of like bring in, not to say this is the replacement character, but then the big kind of like, what becomes a big hero moment is like the big Chinese corporate character, mm-hmm. uh, like later on in the movie. And I've heard some people kind of like, you know, be a little bit critical of that, that given, you know, real world politics in, in everything. And so there's a level of that. And, you know, I'm not going to 
dig my head in the sand. I do think it's interesting that this sequel happened probably because like a Chinese company bought it and the movie did well in China. So you put, you know, and that leads to China having a huge role in this movie. So I'm not sticking my head in the sand about that. But, you know, there is some of the criticism about like, well, you know, it's just kind of weird that given all of those, you know, historical tensions and whatnot, and then it just seems weird that you're kind of like, you know, you're taking out like the Japanese character in the giant monster movie and then kind of like, you know, br- you know, coming in twofold with this other character. Um, two things about that. I, I don't feel that way about it. Uh, you know, I just, you know, don't, you know, it, it's kind of like different. I think the whole movie, I don't think the movie goes overboard on it. I think that's kind of the setup of the movie, but I think the movie in general, the whole aspect of the movie is being separated from the real world in terms of like, it is more of a globalist society that like the, that the world of Pacific Rim is trying to bring forth. And, and I think that the movie does actually a pretty good job at like trying to keep you on your toes thinking like that's who the villain is. And then they realize that, well, that isn't what the villain is. It's still always like a true foreign invader uh, with the big villain reveal. The other thing I would say about it would be this would be this would this comes from the false premise that there is some sort of cultural identity from at all to steal from Pacific Rim. And this is my issue with even the first one is like you can you can retroactively remember Pacific Rim as being like this like truly Japanese inspired like film that's like really connected in its roots and yeah there's some inspirations but that movie also had Charlie Hunnam like teaching, um, you know, um, teaching the Japanese girl like you know how to dojo. <laughs> so it's like you know that that's kind of where I stand from it. It's like it's not the, the, this wasn't a movie that had this like strong like cultural like identity to take away from in the first place, mm-hmm. and and it kind of leads to my you know my biggest my biggest thing about the comparison between the two movies. It's like I do find the division between these two movies very fascinating. Like, I, I do find it, and I think you are kind of, you always question um, when I say that a lot of people don't like a movie. I I really don't think, I think this movie really came out to a lot of people not liking it. I think that some of that was people maybe not wanting to like it, so maybe there's a lot of people who just really haven't seen it and given it a chance. But I think in general, like, the the, the general kind of attitude towards it was it was just not, like, people just didn't like it and and i'm trying to figure out why exactly it is especially like when you watch the two movies back to back and i think that there is a level of guillermo del toro directed the first one and like i said it looks nicer and i think that that is maybe yep. gets conflated with you know i don't know that that that's kind of like how i yeah how i really I think just think it. that that comes down to my issue that i'm having mm-hmm. where like i watch a movie like this and I just I can't imagine not liking it. you know what I mean? <laughs> well I mean because I mean I've had this it, it's not the same level because it's actually a good movie but I've had this on the level of like the stuff stuff like Batman and Robin and mm-hmm. stuff where it's just like I can't imagine actually taking criticism in that movie seriously because it's, mm, it's I see fun what you mean. it's I just see, like yeah there's a fun element to be had and just kind of I, I'm just struggling with that these days, because especially because I can't hate movies anymore. Well, um, but I, I think that there's a level of because you're right. This movie is a lot more kind of self-aware and jokey. Even though, like, I don't find it to be like yuck yuck jokes. No. It, it's just more like an irreverence in its tone. It is, yeah. 
It's, and, a, it's just like it has like John Boyega like chomping down ice yeah. cream because he likes to eat. I think it's not so much that this movie is lighter. It's more so that the first movie is so serious. Yeah. Except for those times when it gets to breathe and get silly with, you know, like the Hannibal Chow characters and the and you know and the scientists. And, Which and, to be fair, I, I don't see a Hannibal Chow character existing in the world in this film. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's no kind of like, they kind of like dial back the, like the ex- extravagant looks and everything in this film. Even though, I mean, I do have a point about that, but I no, guess, go, well, get, well, what is it? I'll get to it later. When we talk about Charlie day, I'll get to well, it. Let's talk about, let's talk about Charlie day now. Like, so, so first well, of all, I so just, Charlie day comes back. He continues to be awesome. Yeah. In, in, but in this, I feel like film. I, I, I kind of noted it in this first scene when he's like, cause he's now this big wig He's like kind of being kind of like you know in some ways the lackey to this this CEO, but also kind of in the head big big on his britches. Right, like, right. That's how the way he's acting. I always felt that. Well, I just felt when I was watching in this first scene, especially with like kind of the glasses and the purple suit and everything, and the way he's acting, that he's kind of almost adapted a little bit of that Hannibal Chow personality within him. That's a good point. I like that. I like that. And no, I, that, it, it that's also very makes, spot on. And it also makes sense once you get to like more about what's going on with Charlie Day yeah. that once you get adapted later in the film. But I kind of feel like he's kind of almost adapted that type of persona, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the black market way, but in that kind of like big, like I'm a big wig now. So I'm going to be basically kind of this, this big wig guy. Right. Um, but while we're talking about, we, we might as well just kind of like talk about, so the big, and, and to be fair, and after watching it again, this movie does do a pretty decent job of trying to keep you on your toes about exactly what's happening, yeah. like with the plot, because it actually rides like for a while, like, do you, like, oh, maybe it is, you know, the, the, the company that's bad because then, but then they throw in this reference back to, because they bring back up that um you know that uh newton gottlieb um uh drifted with a kaiju brain in, in the first film gottlieb is still having like nightmares from it which by the way um gorman coming back is gottlieb is is just another yeah. like that character well both of those characters but like he just it makes me so happy just that character and i'm so glad they came back because i knew charlie day was coming back but i didn't know if he was coming back and i like that they kind of have their own little ongoing storyline throughout both films yeah and i i just i, I absolutely right. love because he's still working he's, for the jaeger program he's still working for the jaeger program but you can kind of tell just because of the nature of there's no monsters there's not much really to work with scientifically um you know he's kind of like at the beginning it's like you know the kind of the their relationship is like they've kind of grown distant but you kind of feel like the Gottlieb is trying desperately to kind of have Newt back within his life. Mm-hmm. Like he misses that. But yeah, they're buddies, man. But, <laughs> it, but it's also like again because it's like the best. He's like, well, I got you know the the idea for this jet fuel for faster Jaegers with kaiju blood, and it's just like again like the Jaeger program may be on its death's door, and there really hasn't been much for him to do since like the war has been over. Like, right. He's basically just kind of been tweaking and improving these these Jaegers that are being used essentially as police now. Um, so it's and again like it's like they are kind of grown distant, but you know they're still kind of you still feel that chemistry between the two of the characters, mm-hmm. even though like Charlie Day is kind of like in his own world now. Um, 
So so then you know Charlie, you know Newt, he keeps on mentioning about like this this girlfriend Alice that she. I got him to Alice. Yeah. yeah. So then he goes back home and we're introduced to Alice, and Alice is a kaiju brain in a jar that uh, Newt has been drifting with and getting a high off of drifting with, because that that's kind of what they hint at is that it was like a huge rush uh, for him. And that ultimately leads to the big reveal of the movie eventually is that Newt is the villain of the film and he has been using his his uh, connections in this uh, in this uh, company to regrow uh, Kaiju brains, put them in Jaegers. So he puts them in all the drones so he can control all the drones. But then he also puts it into um Obsidian Fury. Obsi- Obsidian Fury, and the, you know, there's the that that's one of the first great reveals is like who it's like it's like it's like who's operating that Jaeger, and then they pull off like the cockpit, and it's just like a Jaeger, uh, a kaiju brain yeah. is in it. Um, so so that's fun. And again, going back to why I say like this is a really fun and smart conceptual conceptually speaking sequel because instead of just doing like oh the, the the breach opened again it's like oh no it's actually forces on our side of the planet uh that like the you know the kaiju stuff is not like kaiju's coming back it's like you know they make a effort to be like oh no somebody grew these kaiju on our planet like so that's fun but the reveal of like I remember in theaters when he turns around and then there's that awesome like you know like the the screen turns like black and purple and he's like I'm going to end the world <laughs> it's just like yes <laughs> yes that's the type this, of Saturday morning cheese I want in these movies it's a, it's a genius move by the movie I, there's no other way to put it making Newt the the actual villain and bringing that drifting element back and like you know kind of the danger that even Hannibal Chow, you know, put a put forth on it at the beginning of that movie that they know who you are, you've connected to their brain. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing it brings it back. Movie does a great job at not overplaying its hand, but also like doing enough where like they kind of take you in all directions with Charlie Day's character. So right. beginning-wise, yeah. You know, he kind of Cuz you know there's something up with him, but they they also conceptually do an interesting thing with like him being controlled cuz the reveal is like he's being since he drifted He's being influenced and controlled by the aliens from yeah the, the, pre, the precursors the pre- they call uh, and but they kind of like play with it in a fun way where he's kind of lucid like and he's kind of not so he's kind of aware so he's still like he he's still struggling but ultimately he's controlled right. by them but it's also like again just the movie it's like at the beginning when he's having his like thing with Gottlieb it's like there's something off about this but you can kind of be like well it's just like you know we know Newt has kind of this crazy personality so maybe kind of all the money and all kind of the bigger position and more attention has kind of gone to his head right like so it's kind of like that and then you're like thinking oh well maybe he um you know he'll come back at the end of the day and like you know return to his normal self then you get to the kaiju brain thing that reveal and it's more so like you still don't know like he's like the villain at that point but you're kind of thinking oh like this is not going to turn out well right so maybe like oh like maybe he accidentally brings the kaiju back because like he's constantly like in in contact with them and stuff like that and then you get to that last reveal and everything makes sense right even if it's not intentional i kind of say like that that hannibal chow element at the beginning is like that's the other brain that we know the kaiju have Mm -hmm. have drifted with so maybe like they kind of insert that a little bit into this personality. Yeah, so. I, I think that there's a level of the way that I read it in the film. It's like it's it, there's a little bit of mind control in there, but I always read it as like kind of like it, it's kind of like this mental indoctrination, like where a, it, a it, subtle influence, on right? It. Yeah. So it's like because 
and then it's they still find- Newt, but it's like Newt, but now he is one of them kind right, of like, deal. Like yeah, the, the impulses is embraced. It's yeah. like leading him to do this, and then eventually at the end they fully kind of take over right. his body. And that that's but- what's smart too, because it's not it's because it would have been a mistake to rip all the personality out of charlie day and just being like no i'm in control or something yeah. like that but they kind of they let keep him maintain they keep him as the new character like you can that's the thing i think is great is that even those beginning scenes when they, that relationship with gottlieb is off you still know it's newt yeah like and you still see oh that's also a du- also that little bit between him and, and between newt and gottlieb like when he finally reveals and then like just like so like they have that little moment where Gottlieb is like, no, like Newt, you're like a good person. Don't do this. And then when Newt's about to get shot by you know, by the um by the CEO, um, and then like you know Gottlieb like stops her. He's like, no, he's like being controlled. I love it that like this movie took the time to have the little moment where it's like. Oh no, that's like Gottlieb's buddy. Like he right. doesn't want him to get and shot. It, like and and they don't overplay it. It's just this little moment where I mean they had to have him get away, but. Yeah. I just thought that was a nice, sweet little moment. This movie just makes so much more use out of the whole, like, all these different, like, connections and familial connections and friendship connections and partner connections. And it it just, like, takes the time to make sure that all of them are in the film. But at the end of the day, just to kind of finish up the main discussion on Charlie Day, it's also just once he actually turns, it's just fun to see him as a villain. Because it's, it's, in a sense, it's unexpected, but it's also like, and I think we just talked about it, like, right after we watched it, um... It almost makes sense that you would cast Charlie Day as like a sci-fi villain because oh, yeah. he has that energy. And again, he just brings that energy to the performance. So when he's like in that third act and there, you know, he's kind of reacting to everything or when he yeah. does that reveal when he turns around, it's like, oh, like, I'm just going to end the world. Yeah. Like, like it's just, he he eats that up. And I do think it's like really nice that the um, relationship between Gottlieb and Newt is given that lip right. service and that, that disappointment that Gottlieb has and his desperation to like, you know, my friend's still in there, that moment. But even at the end where it's just like, you know, he knows his friend and it's just like, well, he's, you know, we're got to do this to stop him. Yeah, I also, I also love the bit with Gottlieb when he's like, when he's like, wait, Newt may know something about this. And he's like, oh, it's like, all right, we'll go, go find him and then, you know, see what you can find out. And he's like, I'm finally given a mission. Yes. <laughs> like, I thought that was right, great. Right, because again, I love he's it. like frustrated. I, lo- um, I, I love all that. So uh, um, an- another, another thing I was going to talk about just character wise, because I think you can kind of lump this all into one thing is just kind of like the rest of the Jaeger program yeah. characters. Because I think one of like, the biggest surprises I had when I first saw this movie is like, I kind of found myself like not wanting Scott Eastwood to die, which was like blew me away. I think the and thing I'm, about and this, I'm not saying like, I love that character, but I didn't, I remember when I was watching it and he yeah. was good. He, he made yeah, we, we kind of gave a little bit like we lumped Scott Eastwood into that kind of like white guy group. Right. But even he has more inherent charisma. Yes. Than, than Charlie Hunnam does. Charlie Hunnam is definitely on the lower totem pole for us. But the other thing about it in, in that movie, I'm sure he's great in other things. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. definitely. I mean, he he was King Arthur. Yeah, so maybe, which he may or may not have been good in. We don't know. We haven't seen it. Patrick liked him. We were, we were told he he was good. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it though is that because at the beginning you do like the first thing because it's like basically the whole thing about Scott Eastwood's character is that he was John Boyega's old partner. Um, back like in the, he was like they were they were the like the the drift compatible partners, and then obviously, uh, Boyega got kicked out of the program by his dad. Um, because he tried to single man a uh, Jaeger and passed out. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, did I? I want to know how you felt about it. I thought that 
the amount that they got into backstory was pretty well done. Just enough. In, in this film. Like, I thought that, like, how he told that story about their falling out, I, I felt was a very human way of telling it. Like, they didn't kind it's of... A, it's all about character. And they didn't dramatically, like, beat it into you because you know you could see the scene where he's like he's like i hated my father and it's like it was like a huge deal and then he's like regrets about it yeah but the way he says it he's just like you know i like my father and then he's like well what did your father say he's like well he said i wasn't worthy but he said a lot of stuff but in a way that again it's been been 10 years since that and it's like maybe it's more so like his reluctance to return to the program is more so not wanting to face the fact that he never got to apologize to Mm -hmm. his father and, and and all that sort of stuff but but we're talking about Scott Eastwood. The thing about it is, like, because you, you do set up, there's kind of this tension between them a little bit. And, like, you know, J- you know, Jake Pentecost doesn't want to be there. And Scott Eastwood is like, we got to be there for these kids. But Scott Eastwood's a little too hard on the kids. You know, and, and John Boyega's, like, not, you know, taking it seriously enough. So it's just kind of that tension. And you kind of, the thing is, you kind of think it could be like the, like, the Charlie Hunnam Australian thing in the first movie, where yeah. it really is oh, just going to be God. argument after argument. Ugh. But the thing about this, though, is that one, again, because the characters have a history with each other, all that makes more sense. There's more character involved between the both of them. And there's that scene where, you know, they're, he's, you know, uh, Jake Pentecost is just putting a lot of typings on ice cream. Yeah. Scotty's Scott trying to talk to him. But you can already tell it's not like the greatest scene in the world, but you can already tell there's more history between the oh, two. Oh, you could you could tell that that type of conversation was not the first time they've had that conversation. And when and, th- and that they also weren't enemies either. Yeah. Like, well, the thing is, it's like they still but you still get that friendship because as soon as they, st- you know, as soon as they step into the Jaeger together mm-hmm. to like look over this big ceremony, they're immediately like on step. You know, they're they're not like kind of bickering with each other in the cockpit. They're still right. like Oh, thank God. They're still buddy buddy. And then eventually, like, you know, they they have a middle of the movie speech of like, you know, you gotta forgive your friends and you gotta forgive your family. And then they have a nice relationship for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like it, it's just so you could just imagine it's it so refreshing. You could just imagine the whole movie being them bickering and arguing and being like you know, like and then there's a big moment where they yell at each other at the end and like, you know, you never apologize you know, that sort of thing. But it's just all the moments with them are just subtle enough, surprisingly, that it just kind of works. And yeah. like the thing about like, I yeah. mean, the big like he looks at he looks at him. And he's like, you got to forgive your friends while he's talking to them. That's a little on the nose. Yeah, but you know, whatever. But, but I, I think the our, and your the thing point is like, yeah, like Scott Eastwood is not the most interesting character in the world, but he does enough to you know again he uses that enough of that charisma to kind of yeah. get on. I think he's fine. I think he's fine in the movie. And I think the biggest thing about it is exactly what you said is like they, again, when I first saw the movie, I was kind of shocked by how quickly they resolve like that initial tension yeah. because there's no need, there's no need for it. You're not getting anywhere with it. And, and then the other thing about it was, I think that for the most part, they do a much better job of having this Jaeger program be something that you care about with like the cadets and the students. And while I'm not going to say that all of the cadets are like these great characters, I think that the movie does a good enough job of establishing that like, all right, here's all these people from different walks of life. Uh, they have a fun joke where the one, the, the likable cadet that you may not remember his name, but you know, you like him, you know, there's always one of yeah. those in these movies. Um, you know, that his father was a, pr- a plastic surgeon, so they kept making fun of him for that. Um, but they do a good job that by the time you get to the third act, you're like, all right, yeah, they're part of the team and you're on board. And then you don't really, and then when one dies, like, you know, it's not like a big death, but yeah. you're like, oh man, they killed that I guy. I mean, just, it's kind of an offshoot of just like things you would see in Top Gun or even, quote, sure. in Edge of Tomorrow. But I'm saying like, that. Tomorrow, but I'm saying like, 
that's what makes it work is that you don't go deep into them, you know, and you have like, you know, another Russian from the Ivan Dragons Ivan right. Drago school of Russians. Uh but you also get just enough of them where it's like when because it's also like again you establish that they're young you show that they're you know struggling with the training mm-hmm. um so that when they're just again thrown into the thick of it and have to kind of save the world it's just basically like okay well the best this is the best we've got but right. you, you just again you don't need to go deep into them but you just know enough about them that it's well, kind of still but works. you're on board with them as part of the crew as opposed to one of my main criticisms about the first one where it's this whole coalition of people from around the world. And you and just don't know any, you anything don't, about Yeah, them. you don't get anything You just know enough them. about them. Yeah, and by enough, you know that those two are Russian, those three are Chinese. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's all. So it, it's just like, I, I was just, that was like a huge, big, like, big benefit uh, for me. But I, I do I do want to kind of like, like hammer through some, like, really of the flashy things. Because I talked about how this movie just like doesn't, doesn't throw anything away. Nick, we get kaiju Jaeger hybrids in this film. And we do. Which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that they all team up to like burn holes and in, in, interdimensional right. holes so to again, make the, the, other rifts. The drones, when they launch, they reveal they all have like kaiju brains in I, them. You know, this will be the only way to really kind of sell it to you guys. And this is why you need to see this film. Because ultimately, the bad guy's plan is to open a bunch of rifts so kaiju can come out. And then the kaiju can uh, all meet at Mount Fuji, jump into Mount Fuji, where their blood yeah. will mix with the volcanic, yeah. you know, molten lava, and essentially obliterate the Earth. I- incinerate. The Earth. <laughs> uh, they will. They will. It will light up the the Ring of Fire, the it's, Pacific it's Rim. So absurd! Like. They have like I don't know why that makes me laugh so much. It was just like because it's literally it's a sensible plan. Well, because it's like literally the stakes could never be higher. Because last time it was like, oh yeah, they're gonna come and like you know uh, destroy all the Jaegers and then like wipe out the population. No, this time they're gonna jump into a volcano and then well, again, it retcons like the first movie where it's like you know we have to know our enemy. So like why were they weren't just randomly attacking? Right. Like, like no, what they were they actually doing? They but but it, it fits. Yeah. It's a retcon that still fits yeah, it doesn't right. like i mean yeah. i guess like okay i guess that's how they were gonna do it um but i also feel it's just like yeah once you get to the action stuff like again it's perfectly paced well throughout the movie that you're never there's never really a lapse of it right and and again the stuff in between is more interesting that you never really feel like you're missing it but once you get to it man like that third act when yeah. you all like you got like these five very distinct very kaiju, distinct with, you know it's like one has kind of a ball and chain type of thing uh, one has a whip. One has a whip. Another one has kind of the, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon, uh, like, guns where it goes back. Uh, oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah. like, on the front, and it's just shooting these big shells, and then it has to go behind them, so it, like, turns all the way then around. Then you have the sword one, and, yeah. and, 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 and it's all cool. And honestly, like, that fight's awesome at the end of this movie. Because, again, each each Jaeger has enough new things that when you're cutting between all of them, they're all doing dynamic things. Oh. You know what? I got to mention this before I forget because this was something I realized on this thing and it paid off like gangbusters. I thought that the use of the cockpit interface was way better than the oh, first Oh, 100%. Movie. Because what it's they all- do is like they do this kind of trick where the stuff that's going on outside is holographically represented around them. Yes. And so it allowed for when they cut back and forth between the cockpit and the action, it's still you could still track the action and then it 
connected the human characters to the visual effects action in a much more intimate way. So you could follow it and get connected with it like even better. It's a very subtle difference that I think like really helps out with the action in this film. Indeed. Indeed. I would. So like when like they're holding like, you know, like, um, you know, they get the flame sword in the face and then like, you know, um, they're holding the, the Jaeger is holding the other Jaeger sword. But then on the inside of the cockpit, it's actually like them holding like holographic arms and right. stuff like that. Yeah. I, I just think it was a small difference that really or even like when, like, the, when like a missile's going past them and they see like the missile and you just kind of see like what they're looking at right. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but it's just like it's and then, you know. Uh, there's because there's three kaiju and then Charlie Day, of course, like has all these like mini robot things that like how did that come under the table? <laughs> <laughs> like I understand like putting the kaiju brains, but it's just like how did that like get away? But then all those uh, robots help that the three creatures right. form into one mega kaiju as it's affectionately known as. Um, and then That's that awesome. kind of beats up. So again, then you still get. You know, and it's like you still get the cadets where they're not experienced enough, but they're doing their best. Eventually, all the other kaiju gets destroyed. One of them. Also, does. the whole final boss kaiju aspect of this is another thing way better done in yeah. this oh, film. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it's, this actually was way more dynamic. There's a little bit better more... escalation of threat in. Right, because like, again, we yeah. talked about in the first movie, it's like they get the thing where it's like, well, you can't go through the rift unless you have you know a kaiju with you because it reads kaiju DNA. And it really is just like, oh, well, we you know, we'll figure out a way to do that. Whereas like this one, it's like, okay, they're fighting the three. They got to stop it from getting to Mount Fuji. Oh, it's merging into one Kaiju and it's basically destroying all the other ones, you know? And then Scott Eastwood is basically incapacitated. So John Boyega has got to be like, all right, well I got to do it on my own again. And they're like, you're going to pass out again. You can't handle it. And mm. then our, our little girl, uh, buddy comes in and basically like, you know, relieves Scotty Eastwood of his duties, ejects him and basically like comes in and they, you know, help save the day. Yeah. They, they, uh, and they even, even the last thing is like, how are we going to stop him? You know, we're not powerful enough to do it. Well, let's just launch ourselves into. Right. The- yeah. We're going to go up to the atmosphere and literally like launch ourselves as a missile from the atmosphere. And then, and then of course we also get um, our, our Chinese CEO has retrofitted Scrapper mm-hmm. into being a, Dude. Rem- a remote pilot. Okay, so this solidified why I actually do think this movie is like really good and actually like has a lot more thought put into it uh, and into its premise because, and again, it's simple. It's not rocket science. It, it, it's like very on the nose, but it's this. It's just funny because. There's so much of the whole like everybody is having like the team up and in in to uh, like from different walks of life and things like that. So the kind of Jaeger visual aspect of that is that you have the Chinese CEO who is all about the drones. Like it's all about the drones. Like you know we don't need pilots and we don't need Jaegers and you know we're fancy and we have all the money and we're like making things on mass production lines yeah. and I'm a hard ass and things like that and then meanwhile so then her big saving moment is that well now she is going to pilot like the scrap together and like be like a Jaeger pilot herself yeah. so it's like a nice kind of like little yeah, even like, though she's still remotely piloting it it's like still like her right like really going out into the field and, and putting her yeah her so it, it so it is kind of like nice so it is like that blending of like the two ideologies a, yeah. a little bit and then and again it's and like, then it's, also just the basic satisfaction of the plan and payoff of just having Scrapper come yeah. back like right and even, awesome even hero her, her relation that Scrapper get to be mm-hmm. in there 
Yeah, so I, I just like when he when 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 she's like it's just like oh she's like I'm on my way and then Scrapper gets like dropped out of like the plane or whatever. Chef's kiss. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, um, and the last moment I think like just like them in the snow and like her saying like I never I never seen snow before and John Boy is like that's what you notice and then yeah. they throw snowballs. It's really nice. Couple- making fun of his speech. Yeah, he's like you can be whatever you want to be. Well, <laughs> you know, just, he's like, did you? Well, it's, it's funny because he does like he's like I'm not my father. I'm not going to give a big speech. And then he immediately like gets into it. And it's like you can see like oh this is the son of Stacker Pentecost. Right, and then right, they right. Of it. A couple other things to quickly note because um, this is one of our longest deep dives mm-hmm. ever. Um, unless you cut it down significantly, which no. you might. Um, but uh, one one point they get to play the the Trollolo song, which is oh yes, yeah. so funny. <laughs> uh, so basically, like it's just like the big like lead off of like we're gonna test like these. We never tested these jet propelling rockets before, um, so you know they're like nervous that these will work and there's all this stuff and then like the one guy just puts on the trollolo song yeah uh and he's like what are you doing it's like this helped me calm down my mom watched showed me with all the kids which is like exactly what our children are going to be we're just going right. to be showing them memes and gifs and then that's well be then it, and then it plays for a second over over the, them like yeah. over them successfully launching yeah uh yeah i wonder if it's like i mean it's got to be moments like that that people yeah don't or like cite as, uh i didn't like, want to mention real quick um couple last things i also thought that the uh when the drones are assaulting the base like it really did feel like kind of that good element of like war movie where it's just like i did i felt that way too especially watching it this time um around. that is just like you job. know it's just like overwhelming and you know doing the best we can and and all that sort of stuff uh one one little nitpick did i have mm-hmm. yeah um I I do uh the little what's the little girl's name again sorry oh uh the uh, not the little girl she's like a teen yeah uh, Amara Amara yeah uh I generally like the character overall I generally like the performance I do find it a little bit weird that they essentially play a oh very, the, the same origin story a very similar yes. beat of an origin yes. story no I agree with you um, yeah and it's like it's one of those things where it's like it kind of works a little bit in a sense that like because because with Mako, it's like she's an older now she's older, but you know that's still projection younger. Where it's like for her, that was literally like mm-hmm. you know ten years ago. Like obviously, it was like you know I feel like it's, it makes a little more sense, but it's also is literally like the exact same beat of like oh I was hanging out and then my parents were killed by you know yeah. Kaiju. I, I, I here's what I say. I I like what I do like about the moment is that I think that they kind of pay it off a little bit better by just like having it right after it happened like it just feels like a more genuine moment right. of like her having to relive it and i think it's so all, i like, do it's, like it's that that there's that i do think it's also better because i just think that boyega is a better performer that yeah. i think he helps sell that a little bit more and i do think that it does kind of help that when she because it's like her first thing with her first um neural handshake with uh with uh, Pentecost and it goes badly that you still do get a little bit more of her like there's a little bit more of her like overcoming that mm. within it still not the most but like once she connects with Pentecost again then sure yeah like there's still a little bit more of like you know the nervousness of that um but I still feel it's just it's just odd that you do the same thing with again our, I, our, I our would lead, I would agree again and I feel like that because it's also like I think it really would have been enough where it's like you don't need to show that again you can still maybe make that it's like I'm I you 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 could have just been like, I've been out there on my own. I saw the kaiju. Uh, I saw the Jaegers as heroes, and I wanted to build my own. Right. I think that's all you really needed. Yeah. Um. And it would have been more than enough. 
Cause yeah, because I, I like you know she's like a nerd for the Jaegers and she knows like that's the fastest one and she knows all their names. You know, she's basically like Charlie Day in the first movie with Kaiju. That's her with the Jaegers. So mm. I, I just think that was enough. I don't know if you needed to do that beat again and have the same kind of issues of just like. Oh, like of course, like the it's just the 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 young female character has like the. the I, I would agree that it's probably like the the not the strongest choice. Yeah, uh, I, I think they could have done without it. Um, that does remind me that it's cool that they practice uh, drifting with a uh, brain. Yeah, with <laughs> just so with Sarah. Yeah, just like a random brain that they and have then, retrofitted. Uh, and then we do get a like a post title card screen, not really a post credit scene. Yeah. Um. Where yeah, so the they they won. They capture Charlie Day. Yeah, and then they're basically they go up to Charlie Day's character. He's like, "Oh, like we know the precursors are listening through you. We'll tell them like, you know, we're we're coming to them." Yeah. Except they're not because the third. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but basically because it's like it's Charlie Day. It's like there's they're gonna keep coming. We're gonna keep going. You're yeah. never you're never gonna we're you were never gonna relent. It's like don't worry. You don't have to come to us this time. We're gonna we're gonna go to you. <sighs> we're never gonna get. We're never gonna get it. We're we're never gonna get it. No. Would you would you want it? Yes. Yeah. Now, would you want it? Like, would you want it by this team of people, or would you just kind of want like another like I would have re, re like new I, team of people. My personal take on it would be I wouldn't mind if the like tonight team came back, um, like in terms of creative side. But I also probably my preference would be like to get just a third new voice. Mm. Okay, yeah. that would be my like just to kind of do like a Star Wars thing. Just have three different voices, you know, original Star Wars thing. Yeah, have three different voices within this universe. Still kind of, you know, pushed by like the Del Toros, and you can still have Boyega in as a creative force. You probably would have his character come back. I can't imagine like you know he'd probably be the crossover character. Um. They probably could get more of the same cast back, but yeah. I just feel like well, definitely you know Newton Gottlieb. They, yeah. they as long they, as they're in it, they got to be the C three PO and R two of the trilogy. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I, I I would probably want it to be uh, a new team. What about uh that that team of uh, Patrick and Powell? I yeah, <laughs> uh, pods of the friend cast. Um, yeah. So the the last thing I do want to say about the movie, I, I ladies and gentlemen, I I really really like this movie. I I think that he has all the he has all the figures. Yeah, I do. That I, I think that that's, I have to post them. But I I did get um figures for all uh of the main Jaegers in the film. Um, I did like that. I also real real quick, I did like um the I did like how they maintained the the creature monster design of having that like blue neon mm-hmm. outline on them yeah. um even though it's in the day so you can't see it as well I, I did like that aspect of it um but listen I mean here's the thing this movie it it, it is a like it is a fun brisk Saturday morning sci-fi action film and I mean that in all the best ways possible. And and, it, and it's in all the ways that I said that almost the first one you thought it was going to be. Like, because in many ways, I do think like this is more, uh, this is 100% the movie that I personally wanted out of the first one. Now, I know I don't judge strictly based off of that, and I judge by what that movie is. But I genuinely think that this movie steps over the first one because. Um, while once again, I will acknowledge that maybe the first one is more artfully directed and looks better. I just think that, but that being said, I just think from character to concept, to story, to the satisfaction of the actual action and everything that's happening on screen, 
I just think that this movie just it, it it just excels more more so than the first. Totally think it's worth a watch if you haven't seen it or worth a revisit. Just yeah, to give it a I, you know, like honestly, get, give this movie a chance. I get it. Even if you're a big fan of the first film and you're a big Del Toro lover, I get it. But you know, just kind of look at like this, like it's in the Pacific Rim world, and it's about like you know monsters and robots and stuff. Like I. I, I think you're gonna have a good time with it. What's, okay, I wanted to ask a question. Yeah, wasn't there like was the, there was a Netflix animated series announced, right? Oh yeah, let me. Like, was that a thing my... that like like just never happened because of just like? Let's see. Because um... I know that was also a thing that even after this movie, there was like talk of like at least talk of like a Netflix animated thing. Um, that like kind of went on, but I never heard anything about it again. So I don't I know. feel like I had. Um news uh, about it recently the the most recent news article for it um okay oh here we go uh this this was something from three three weeks ago um let's see netflix to stream an exclusive pacific rim anime series uh netflix just um Oh, is this on Netflix? Uh, Uprising? I think Uprising may be on Netflix right now. Um, I don't know. So it seems like the, it may still be happening from just like... Well, I mean, there's, there's always... I mean, that's also like the direction you could have gone, I think, is give it like a little bit of an animated miniseries. You yeah. Know? I mm-hmm. think that that's easy. Like streaming content, people, especially if it's animated, people might just kind of pick it up. So that's what I... Because I remember hearing about that. And I just no, from everything I'm reading, it's still it's still on track. Okay, that they're, well, that they're going to do it. Um, um, we'll, we'll see. We'll so see yeah, we'll, I mean, it, it it is kind of cool because, like, I did get more of an interest in the world more so than I did the first one. Yeah. Like to the fact that, like I said, I got like all of like the characters. Um. Um. So yeah, is there is is there any like kind of like last things about the movie itself uh, that you want to say? If it well, if it is on Netflix, it's especially in the yeah. year, if it's on the U.S. Netflix, I can't I can't speak for our international audiences. Yeah, that may be that may be what it is. But check it out. And uh, again, but like, it's, it's, it's again, if it's a free watch, especially during this time that you know most of us are still not out of the house. So if you haven't seen it, give it a look. If you have seen it. I honestly say give it a take it a, another look see. And 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 like I said, like I and again, and this will be where I shut up about it, but like I really do think like it's just funny that I think Steven S. Knight like came in and like just really injected a lot of like energy and thought into this movie that I think that people are just going to overlook. Like I said, like all the things about globalism and everything, I think just pays off better and more elegantly in this thing with all the plants and payoffs. Um, so, and I mean, there's some interesting stuff going in. Like, I loved how there were like kaiju worshippers. Like, there was like you know people who were like out there right. like rooting for the kaiju, which you would think is unrealistic, but you know people um, protesting something that can easily harm them unprotected is um, <laughs> not as unrealistic as you think it is. I think that's uh, a good place to end it. Um, where uh, who's Harrison Ford in this movie? Oh man, um, that is. Good question. I mean, you never see the president in this movie. Easy, yeah, we always. I'm like, hey, I, president's an easy answer. Yeah, he could be like a. Oh, you know what? Because at one point they do say that wasn't there like another Jaeger team that was trying to intercept the kaiju. Yes, yeah. so he's like the head of that. Team. I remember that was funny because yeah. it's, it's like Will. Just a quick story that during the movie, like Will 
was basically like it is kind of weird with both movies that it's like really like all centralized to just this one location it's like yeah. they're not like for a movie that's like all over the world and not other teams and then immediately like after that they're like we had another kaiju te- uh, another, yeah they do another jaeger team try to intercept it but they failed so um but yeah i think he he's on that jaeger team or maybe he's like that jaeger team's pentecost and like but that's like a, a failed mission and yeah stuff like that, I, so. I like that and fun story uh james gunn was going to have a cameo in the film as a dj Oh. Yeah, maybe in that like that first scene yeah. at the party, but it did get cut. And uh, James Gunn jokes is because he's like, well, now that uh, that character can have uh, spinoffs later he because yeah. he didn't die. Um, so uh, I thought that was fun. Uh, so kind of like as, as, just as we wrap this up, just real quick, I just want to talk about since we've talked about both films, like what what is your opinion of the just the Pacific Rim world in the canon of kaiju films like what place do you feel like it 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 definitely has has its place as its own unique franchise like no different to me honestly than like you know mothra has her own set of films and you know rodan has own set of films at the time it's just like kind of fun that there is kind of a new kaiju world within this modern landscape just because you don't really see that that much often you know um and i feel like it's definitely earned its place whether you like the first one or you like the second one or you like both um, I think that it's definitely earned its own unique place within within the kaiju landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I feel like it, it kind of like come comes in and out because I do think that there's a level of maybe people not being as on board with the sequel that's kind of like taken it. I, I, I think that kind of like that too little too late nature of the sequel for a lot of people like keeps it from really getting to truly iconic like godzilla and like gamera levels well, of, i mean I, of, I don't think it's going to get up to those well those yeah th- okay so, you, but, so but you're uh, just but saying also, it has like it's kind of like i will niche. say though i think it's one of those things where we're really still you know we're in the first decade uh-huh. of this and i really feel like it is going to be a thing where like with any legacy i think it's really hard to do it within that first decade um unless it's it's something as earth shattering as like the MCU. But I do feel like there's a sense of, or like star Wars is, but I think with stuff like this, it's really going to be like five years from now, you know, is there going to be a groundswell or maybe if this, this animated thing does, you know, maybe do good numbers or something like that. Or, or maybe if there is like a new comic book series or, you know, it's just kind of like thing is like, I feel like it's a world that they can, you know, in smaller ways they can still come back to. Yeah. Like there could be, I could easily imagining like a dark horse doing like here's like a little Pacific Rim miniseries that like what the third film would have been type of thing or like a lead up to like yeah you know, that's true adventures I mean, in there I just feel like there's still room for it to grow um, it's just hard sometimes in this modern media landscape where there's so much content that it's kind of hard for that stuff to grow organically sometimes but I do feel like there's room for it to kind of still have its place yeah i think like the big thing is that to not take for granted is that there i mean the fact that there was a sequel at all and the fact that the the fact that they're slowly but surely like trying to produce stuff for this franchise yeah it definitely speaks volumes to the place that it has in the canon like you know eventually we get them but like you know it, it, it just takes time yeah um so I'm I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping to see this new series and enjoy it a, a, as much as as much as I did this one. Um, but yeah, so um, all all of you guys, I, I I'm a big advocate of this movie. So 
Uh, I hope you I definitely enjoy. Do enjoy it too. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes uh, diving deep into the Pacific Rim franchise. Um, how, how do you think the Pacific Rim world would fare in a Godzilla world? What do you mean? Like, like what, how the kaiju? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're you know, you you got to compare it to all the other uh, other kaiju stuff. I remember because there was so like how, long. How would the Jaegers fare against Godzilla? Yeah, or just like how how would you like to see it? Because like I think we're both maybe on the same page where it's like you may have to. Because I know a lot of people have talked about how do you cross over Pacific Rim with like Godzilla? Because I mean, the biggest thing is like they're both owned by Legendary at yeah. this point. Like you maybe. can't you can't necessarily put. Uh, the the Jaegers in the monster verse right now. Well, actually, now knowing where the monster verse goes, the Jaegers wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> they would monster verse. I mean, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy. You know what it is? Uh huh. It's, it's a piloted Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. That's the that's the big thing. I mean, that's all. That's all you need. Yeah. I I will. I don't say- think you need the crossover of Pacific Rim, but just yeah. give us. I will give say, us a Mecha Godzilla. I will say this though that. What if Pacific Rim did anything? It has now gained the go-to how to show humans piloting a thing, yeah, like a giant like creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that if if it has like cornered the market on anything, it's like that mm-hmm. because it's like how else do you do it now? No. Like after you've seen yeah, because you both can't just go back movies. to like the the millennium era like fighter jet type of thing. Yeah, like, like they're in a seat. Yeah, like it's just not as it's just not as fun. Yeah, the neural network is a good thing. Yeah, neural pancakes. Yeah, what do we call? Because it was neural handshakes, and then you said you definitely could see somebody like in like the cafeteria in the Shattered Dome calling it this this week's specialty on the menu is the neural pancake. Yeah, and then everybody's like, "Oh God, yeah." Jeff's Jeff's doing his his thing again. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, that concludes uh this deep dive for this week. I hope everybody enjoyed. And uh, please write in if you want to agree or yell at us. Like we will take either one. Um, so next time we'll go back to a normal movie episode. We're going back to the James Bond camp in which we are watching Kingsman, uh, the secret service, the secret service. Not the Golden now, I was about to say the golden circle, but we're not, we're not doing that. We're doing uh, secret service. Uh, so yep. So that'll be it. Um, and I hope everybody is doing well and, um, until next time, take care. Peace.